are now listening to Triples in Ecstasy, a production of Holosuite Media. Tune in to our live show every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is Admiral James T. Kirk of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Your presence here is an act of war. You have two minutes to surrender your crew and your vessel, or we will destroy you. Admiral Kirk, this is your opponent speaking. Do not lecture me on treaty violations as this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. In the following podcast, there will be thoughts and opinions expressed that in no way reflect your federation, this station, website, or affiliated partners. Who is this? How dare you? Who I am is not important. Listen to discretion. Yes. You cling on, bastard. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Trips. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new content and new stuff, to follow the girl word no podcast has gone forth. Hello and welcome to Tribbles and Ecstasy. I'm your host, Midnight Shadow, and this is episode 246, the final one of 2016. So, joining me, my crew, we have got... Well, finally, maybe this will be the last disaster of Tribbles 2016 too, huh? Hi everybody, it's Sun. Disaster? Disaster? Well, we could always have more of those next year. Stu-dog! Oh, we won't have any more disasters. There's plenty of duct tape and glue and everything else down in the engine room. Hey, guys, Timberwolf here. And joining us, we have also got Dave Rossi, um, Star Trek producer, associate producer, and a whole heap of Hi, other everybody. things. Welcome back to the show. And we have also Thank you got, very much. And we've also got joining us from the Outer Rim, we have got Jim Bray. Executive producer. Hey, yo, we've got duct tape over here. Well, that's some way for Jody to keep you quiet. Uh, well, ex- there excessive, is that, isn't yes. it? <laughs> <laughs> Be quiet, and, you. <laughs> and we have also got from the outer rim producer Gary. Welcome. Thank you. Except I don't think Jody uses the duct tape to keep him quiet. It may be to keep him tied down. <laughs> Makes for an interesting love session, that's for sure. Shh, don't give away all our secrets. We had to talk about this before. And a, another one from the Outer Rim and Rift is Brian. Welcome back. Hi, all. So, a man of few words. <laughs> since when? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. He's right. kind of like Hobby from Star Wars. He doesn't say anything unless he has something absolutely crucial to say. Yes, yeah, so I, I like Brian's that. The I like that one. Yeah, or it's completely random and he just wants to say it anyway. Correct. 
Chocolate cake. They knew it. There it is. 2016. So we have actually got the 50th anniversary of Star Trek that started in September. Although we started celebrating it an awful lot earlier, didn't we? Yeah, this is true. True. So, uh, yeah, what did all of you guys do to celebrate sort of Star Trek for its 50th anniversary? Dave, shall we start with you? Well, I took my family to uh, the big uh, creation convention, which uh, was actually my kids' first Star Trek convention. Cool. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a it was quite eye opening for them because we watch it we enjoy it um, uh, they know a lot of people behind the scenes because I know them and uh, to see them on stage with you know three thousand people cheering for them was a really weird experience for them but they I think they started to grasp wow a lot of people like this yeah it's. It's very surprising when you sort of go from sort of your own, in a way, world to just talking to a few friends about Star Trek to going to a convention where there are just so many people and sort of like the amount of times people who aren't quite into Trek will go, is that really a thing? And it's just like, oh yeah, we are many. Well, people either get it or or they go, huh? <laughs> you know, it's it's one extreme <laughs> or the other. So what about you, Jim? Have you been doing anything special for the 50th? Uh, trying to get shot out. <laughs> we're, we're, well, as you know, we were all set to shoot uh, uh, Starship Challenger. And then the debacle that is known as Axanar happened and the the guidelines dropped. And so we decided to pull back. And completely detrekify our project, which is where uh, the Outer Rim comes from. Uh, after we pulled all the Star Trek out of the scripts, we saw that it still had legs and muscle. And uh, so we said, all right, let's, let's build our own universe, work inside of that, where no one can make any rules for us that we have to follow. We'll make our own rules. And so that's what we're doing now. Um, we, had, we had been... Uh, all set to shoot that weekend of the 50th anniversary in Vegas. And, uh, and that, that got bollocksed real good. So, uh, so we pulled back, regrouped and, uh, and we, we redoubled our efforts and, and we're in a good place now. And, and now it's looking like, you know, we'll, we'll have something hopefully by the middle of summer that people can watch. Uh, yeah, that'll be Brian, good. Brian, Brian is Brian Kovalt. He's written us a tremendously good script. That's and, rift. Uh, yeah. Rift. Um, which is an episode of something bigger that's called Sweepers. Um, it's the story of uh, this uh, four-man, one-woman uh, mining survey crew on their little mom-and-pop kind of ship. And they they go from planet to planet, sweeping it with their scanners to look for minerals and other resources. And, and in doing so, they tend to get themselves into trouble. They find anomalous things that happen and... and and it's one adventure after another. So Rift is the first episode of that ongoing story. Hey, Brian, what about you? Have you done anything for the 50th anniversary? Well, actually, uh, my copy of Broadbury's Vault just arrived today, so I'm going to be watching Ooh. that this weekend. <laughs> nice. I want that so bad. As do I. I'm jealous now. 40 bucks on Amazon. 
Really? Okay. Yep. I'm down uh, it's on that. now. <laughs> what about you, Gary? Well, I, I, I tended to live vicariously through everybody in New York who was attending the, um, the oh, I can't remember what it was called oh. now, the, uh, the convention that was at the Javits Center. Mission I New had, York? Mission New York. Thank you. That, that was one. the name of it. I had a lot of friends who attended that. I also had a lot of friends from my time working on New Voyages uh, P2 who were down there displaying the uh, the Star Trek bridge, which is now, of course, its own store tour up in Ticonderoga. So while I didn't get in there and see anything through meeting them for coffee and meeting them for lunch and sitting at the tables and listening to the gossip and then watching all the YouTube videos, uh, I got a pretty good experience from it. Nice. So is there anything that any of you have sort of thought, I wish they would have done this during the 50th anniversary? I think for me, I, I would have loved to see the meet the deadlines with Star Trek Discovery. Um, while I'm still looking forward to it, and I understand there was a lot of issues with it, the fact that it's not going to be until next spring sort of takes a little off the luster. Um, I also would have loved to see, instead of one or two major events, of course, uh, the convention in Vegas that uh, Jim alluded to before that we all missed because we were all getting ready to shoot in Oklahoma City for our uh, fan film at that time, and also the one in New York with missions, I would have loved to seen official smaller conventions that may have not brought in all the stars, but just given an, a way of everybody who didn't have to sell their car to attend it. I would have loved to attend the missions, but to do it for... <laughs> For even one day was a hit as a freelancer and a small business owner I could not take advantage of. I would have loved to see them do smaller events that may have been less money for a ticket for a day or a weekend. Okay. What about you, Gary? Uh, that was me. <laughs> Sorry. Um <laughs> wow. wow! It's nice to know that people listen to me. I feel like I'm at a production what? meeting with Jim. <laughs> no, I, I was just um, trying there to get goes the um, looking up your um, last name for the credits at the end of the show. So I was just typing that into the thing. So no. <laughs> <laughs> work all. There. Don't yeah. don't worry. I I too have issues with names. In fact, I just recently read an entire RP blog from Star Trek Online the wrong way because I got Klingon names confused. <laughs> well, that's not hard to do. Don't even know my name half of the time, to be honest. <laughs> I yeah. feel you, brother. Yeah, don't worry about it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean the, the the fact that we're we're no longer a Trek fan production. I'm I'm surprised you to to get the call, the invite to to be on the show. I thought you know once we were detrekt, we would be kind of off everyone's list look, at that point. Look, so just because just because you're defrocked from the religion doesn't mean you're not no longer part of the religion. Come on, man. We are excommunicated. <laughs> that was my worry. But no, no the, uh -uh. the Christmas special, we always um, invite back people we've had on during the year. Um, so, um, and you guys are always welcome. So well, I we love talking really Trek. Do. And even though you're not doing a production that is Star Trek, um, you guys are still Trekkies. So 
Well, not well, only we that, but we're hoping. It. Well, and yeah, we we really do appreciate it. Brian's right, but but the way I feel about what we're doing is it's going to have the spirit of Star Trek. It's True. going to have uh, a lot of the the ethics, a lot of what would Roddenberry do, you know, in in what we're doing. So WWRD, we're going to get right. pins that say that. And uh, and I'm hoping when people watch it, they kind of feel at home in this new universe. Well, hopefully they will. So um... it's it's always a it's always a period of adjustment because coming into any sort of new sci-fi, even if it's older, coming into a new sci-fi perspective for anyone is a here's all the other sci-fi I'm used to. I have to get used to this because it's different. Yes, yeah, so that's probably going to be the case. I think even this, this series, you'll, you'll see that kind of message of hope for a better future. You'll, you'll see that a bit in Rift, too. Yeah. Now, we've sort of heard from you guys. Now, what about for the rest of my crew? Sort of, what have you guys done for the 50th? Um, and what do you think should have happened for the 50th? Timberwolf. Oh, hell, you had to put me on there. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I went to the convention in Vegas. Uh, I actually had a booth with another podcaster. So we, I was there. I got to interview some of the actors and actresses. And the ones that I got to meet were absolutely wonderful to talk to. Even got to meet Nichelle Nichols, which was a dream. Um, you know, normal podcasting, being able to... Um, I have all of my Star Trek friends help me with a charity event in September, which was nice. And then now to end out the year, I have this Christmas tree next to my computer, and it is full of Star Trek Hallmark ornaments. All the starships. And it looks <laughs> very nice when it's lit up. As far as what I wish could have happened, quite honestly, I think uh, Paramount and CBS dropped the ball when it came to Discovery. Because it should have came, something from them should have come out this year. Besides, just beyond, especially if they could have gotten Discovery on the up and up, like they could have potentially gotten it out towards the end of the year, or at least made for sure their original date of January happened. And for me, this would have been the prime opportunity for CBS and Paramount to start getting a lot of gaming companies and toy companies on their side this year. I think from a marketing and merchandising perspective, there was a lot of missed opportunity. A lot. Um, I mean, with this, this would have been the perfect year if they would have come out with a remake of Star Trek Voyager Elite Force or an anniversary edition of Star Trek Armada that works on the New Age computers or something that was brand new. Just, you know, a new, several new video games, merchandise and toys, and actually advertised it because when you hear about Star Wars, it's everywhere. I mean, it's it's flipping everywhere. Everywhere. It was even on freaking oranges. Yeah, there were Star Wars oranges everywhere. And this is where I think CBS and Paramount dropped the ball as their merchandising. When it comes to Star Wars, it's everywhere. It it's everywhere before Disney owned it. With Star Trek, it's just, yep, go grab the movie. And I suppose the issue it. is, when it comes to merchandising, even for Paramount's films, that all belongs to CBS. So there's always yeah. that split. Um, but I suppose 
there have been rumours that CBS and Paramount will be joining again. So, I mean, it's just maybe simplified. Well, yeah, it, it was those, just one those of those rumors. Things. Those rumors were actually dashed earlier this week, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, the um, the whole thing behind that is that Viacom, the the company that owns Paramount, also had a, a major stake at CBS as well. Like had like major shares of CBS, so the thought was there was the potential for Viacom to say, "We own part of this company. Uh, we would like to either merge with it, merge you know merge Paramount and CBS back together again, or t- uh, pick and choose certain properties of the one for the other." So that you know, and the, and the thought was that well maybe this means. Finally, Star Trek could be wholly owned by one company instead of split down the middle. Well, it's just if for me, it's one of those things. That I think more than anything, they had a huge opportunity for marketing, for new products, for just uh, if we're going to revitalize, not just you know you've got three movies out, but if you're trying to get the excitement and passion. When it was on television, back out there, you've got to have some kind of marketing. I mean, hell, bring back the micro machines for crying out loud. And just, just something to help. Like, oh man, it's Star Trek, and man, I gotta go get that new thing that it's at Walmart or it's at Target or just something worth advertising. Have a have it set up with stores where you know you go to any store right now. There is a Star Wars section. There is a Transformers section. Have it where there's a Star Trek section. Just do something to market the product. If you really want new fans into it, you want the old fans to come back, market the literal hell out of it, and you'll well, make your money back. That's the thing. <laughs> they don't seem to be behaving in a way that it shows that they're excited about their own product. And that also concerns me. Yeah, they're, they, they, uh, they're kind of ham-fisted. They're kind of half-assed quite a lot. And... and yeah, I agree. It's really disappointing. I also think that there's a, a situation where they there's a, a little bit of a holier than thou um, vibe coming from them, where Disney and Lucasfilm b- before that would go out and say, "Hey, we want to market Star Wars with your product. This is a win-win." CBS, Paramount, Star Trek, especially, sent, tends to sit back and go, "Okay." You wanted to to license Star Trek? You come to us and we'll see if we like it. And as a result of that, a lot of opportunities go by the wayside because many people don't approach them. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's just it's a huge failing and loss because probably by the time they finally do come out with these new things, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be the 51st anniversary, or the 52nd. I mean, right now, Mega Blocks. And I don't know if anybody's seen it out there. I saw, I've seen it at Best Buy, I, at multiple Best Buys, and I've seen it um, at Walmart. They have this massive from Mega Blocks, this massive thirty-five, a hundred piece model of the Starship Enterprise from the original series. I mean, first off, it looks freaking amazing, but you know, this huge model that once you glue it together, it's probably going to be amazing looking. Just as a display item. I haven't seen anything as far as news articles, no promotions, no nothing. And I'm like, that's that's the baby that started it all. Yeah. 
it, it I know I get it. It's two hundred and fifty bucks. I get that a little out of my price range right now, but still market the hell out of that. So I mean that for me that's been that's been one of the disappointing things this year. I loved what they did with Star Trek Las Vegas, and from what I've seen from the one in New York, I love what they did in New York. Um, some of the displays they did at Comic Con, like they've done good with the conventions and i think that's part and due to the people that run the conventions like creation entertainment because they always put on a good convention anyway but as far as cbs and paramount marketing their own product i mean you're bringing out a new crew and a new movie now you're bringing out discovery and they just announced that apparently the captain of discovery yesterday i believe it was which i have no problem with the actress i think she's gonna be great for the role from what I've seen, but I had to search for that post. Yeah, like, it's all under the radar, which you think they'd be putting it in bright lights and shouting it from every rooftop. Really? Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they announced she's she's an actress from The Walking Dead. I've seen her on there. She has a good range. I'm excited to see her. They announced, what was it, Michelle Yoon? I always get yes. her last name. Michelle Yoon. She's also going to be a captain in the show. And I'm like, okay, these are really good actresses and all that and they've been picking up other actors and everything i'm like great this is actually going to have a really good cast they're not typecast by star trek so they can really invent and grow their roles it's exciting why am i having to hunt through google and facebook and everything it should be flashing if you're proud about what's going on with discovery you should be plastering it you know, as far as in my face, that was that was one announcement that I wish they'd kind of sat on, though, um, because with The Walking Dead, uh, we're always waiting to see who's going to die next. And they usually sit on those things and keep them secret so that they can spring it on you. Well, Jim, the they actually said that she is going to work both shows consecutively. Yeah, they don't they won't be filming. um more okay, on the well, they're saying the that, but, but when they make an announcement like that, the first thing you think is, oh, well, okay, now let's see how she's going to get bumped off, was well, our first could, thought. That could be the same with any part of that show at any time, really. Right, but uh, I just wish they had sat on that a little longer, but okay. I, I, I Honestly, I think a lot of people uh, uh, misunderstand the position of CBS at this point. Um, because uh, there are people who complain about Nintendo, uh, a video game company, and rightly so, because they seem to market their video games as if they were actual toys. Um, And what I mean by that is they create a big market hype and then push out so little product that when all of it sells out, they go, oh, we didn't expect this big response of people wanting our stuff will print more when they have a warehouse full of the stuff in the same vein cbs kind of markets their stuff from the fact that they think everything is a tv show so they don't market this product or that product or uh, this other product placement or, or or what have you they market everything from the oh it's the middle of the day let's run a let's let's run a commercial for uh whatever soap opera we have running that's that's how they operate their marketing and that's so they're still, sad they're still thinking in terms of a non-multimedia youtube streaming online right. ipad on-the-go area, so yeah, they're still thinking in terms of 1970s white suits or white guys in blue suits 
running the advertising department and everything's mm-hmm. got to be, I have to watch the show at eight o'clock. Otherwise I miss it for a week. Right. Which is why you, why you see, which is why you see this kind of divergence of the, well, we're going to do this as a flagship thing. Cause we're, we're kind of dipping our toe in the streaming thing. Cause we don't know how it works. This is newfangled stuff for us. Now, Dave, it does kind of sound like that. Now, yeah. Dave, you've worked in the past, um, sort of, in various roles um, with sort of, Star Trek series. Um, how do you think things are being handled with the new TV series, with regards to publicity and stuff like that? Well, I think that the you know they're going through a change with the departure of Brian Fuller right now, and. Uh, I don't know much about these new shows. CBS has to get their feet wet, get their own kind of forgive the pun, but ship up and running. Um, but I'm, you know, I guarantee you that by the time you're a month and a half out, you're 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 going to be saying, "Please stop talking about it." That's my sense of it. Now, and the other thing is, you know, I started with. Uh, next gen, it was already a well-oiled machine and just kind of hitting its stride. So that's, um, you know, that was a different, that was a different time. But this is a big play for CBS. This uh, getting into streaming, this kind of uh, Netflixy on-demand thing, and I, I, you know, they just cast this person. So I, I don't know what. I know people are hungry for information, but you, know, you can only give out as much information as you can give out. But, but you know, I would imagine that the time, yeah, again, this thing is a couple months away from airing. You're just, you're not going to hear, uh, it'll be everywhere, is my guess. Well, hopefully things will sort of pick up. But, um, and I know, um, was it, Brian or Gary, one of you two said, um, wasn't it, that you were sort of um, annoyed that they'd pushed back the date. But in a way... Yeah, that was me. um, But I'm actually glad they pushed it back because I'd rather them push it back than rush it. Oh, oh, don't don't get me wrong, Midnight. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I want them to get it done right because the one thing I don't want to see is them to come out and ruin the entire thing because it's not ready. Uh, My upsetness, if that's a word, actually comes from, okay, guys, you knew that the 50th anniversary was coming up for a long time. You had promised the fans that you were going to get this new series on the 50th anniversary. You had the showrunner, you had the script, and then something fell down. Well, they couldn't do any TV series until after six months after the release of Star Trek Beyond. That was part of the contract with Paramount. So it was very Uh. unlikely it would have been in 2016 um, just because of that alone. Okay. I I could understand that. Technically speaking, we are still kind of in the 50th anniversary. That was going to be my next point because the 50th anniversary only officially begun at the beginning of September. So it is still going to be released within the 50th anniversary. Okay, you're, you're right. I, I guess I would have wanted to see everything start with a bang. You know, yeah. in September, you've got Las Vegas, you've got New York, you've got the movie. 
You've got the TV show. Maybe you can get a waiver from Paramount. So you could release them consecutively because it's going to be a win-win for both companies and really hit it hard at the beginning to get that buzz. Uh, I know that Timberwolf was talking about marketing before. You got free marketing built in if you can line up all the planets, so to speak, and hit it hard that first week. That would have been perfect. Well, let's let's face it. Star Trek is kind of an adopted child when you think of CBS having them now when it was once owned by NBC. But and but they, then it was owned by somebody else before then. And <laughs> I know well, it was, but the, it was but, owned by Desilu, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 The th- here's the thing. OK, that, that really bothered me about the official 50th and all of that. They were a couple of TV specials and they were less than lackluster, in my opinion. And there, there wasn't a great big love letter like a two-hour program telling the whole story of star trek like those three books that came out a while ago over the three seasons and and tell some of those stories he'll use that to to promote those books and uh and put some of that on television and do a do a documentary for two hours about star trek and give some of the backstory and and some of the interesting things that happened during production and things that happened out in the public when they when they almost got canceled and then what happened after they got canceled that whole story i mean all of it is fascinating and none of that got covered it was like they just didn't even care a lot of that a lot of that happens a lot of that ha- happened that way because it's a shh, you don't tell the company you don't you don't speak about the company when the company screwed up that's that's bad mojo. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but CBS was in in the catbird seat there because they could have said whatever they wanted about NBC because it was NBC's oopsie, and they could have said you know and well, I think you get my point, or maybe you don't. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I just I you know Timber was talking about the marketing like wanting more Trek stuff. And I thought of something and I realized I'm a terrible person because the thing that popped into my head for CBS to market was, I shit you not, the Star Trek Spock Ouija board. Oh, I would spend money on that. No. I've had bad experiences in college on Ouija boards and I promised I'd never use it. But if I've got a Spock branded Ouija board where the little eye thing is like the Trek Symbol and like maybe in addition you've got the 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 Vulcan salute oh, not as just an extra no, but character. No. Oh oh, I'm all over that. That's a Saturday no. night party there. God, wow. Where's the face palm meme when you need one? Oh, you know sometimes <laughs> they cross a line. You know they just cross a line. That's just it. Sorry, too soon. Ugh. Like I said, I I realize I'm a terrible person because that was the first thing I thought of. No, a terrible person would have been if they had a Star Trek urn complete with Leonard Nimoy's ashes salt. And a certificate of authentication, of course. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. would have been terrible. Ouija board. Well, no, that would have cool. been that would have been the Ferengi thing to do. You you, vac- you vacuum desiccate Leonard Nimoy's remains and sell them off. You could wow. have one for, for Nimoy and one for Bones and Nurse Chapel and just keep on going. Ferengi rule of acquisition. That is true. That's right. Whoever croaks, <laughs> you get their ashes, and then you divide it up into uh, 20,000 lots. Yeah. Slow, slow down, guys. I'm, I'm writing all this down. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steedog, 
Um, what have you done for the 50th, if anything? And is there something that you think should have been done for the 50th? Well, um, <laughs> in all honesty, um, I haven't really done much in the last year. But uh, I think one of the, the sort of key things that I did involving Trek was getting back involved in the show again. Um, getting back involved with you guys. But uh, as for things that could have been done better I I do strongly agree with what Timberwolf's saying not so much the the sort of merchandising and the branding and stuff but the visibility of it like you know you, you can here anyway you can only really find Star Trek stuff in like specialty shops like Forbidden Planet whereas I walk into Asda and the first thing that dives out at me is Star Wars, Rogue One. You know, I haven't seen Trek stuff jump out at me anywhere else that wasn't a specialty shop. Yeah, because, well, being a Trekkie, my son, of course, loves Star Trek. And so the amount of times where my wife is asked, oh, what would he like? She has to say, oh, get saying Star Wars, because she knows herself that trying to get him something Star Trek is almost impossible, especially in the shops that most of our friends and family actually have access to. I know, right? I mean, I'm lucky if I can find a, a supplier that has Eagle Moss models. <laughs> yeah. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like a, a topic for the Grind My Gears segment. <laughs> so what about you, Sunseal? What have you done at all for the 50th? What have I done for the 50th? Well, okay, let's see. Hmm. I co-hosted an entire year of a Star Trek-related podcast. That's one. Um, I went and saw this new movie that came out for the 50th. I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh, called Beyond, Star Trek Beyond. Uh, I did that. That was actually kind of fun. But uh, no, I, 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 I kind of agree with the person who said they really should have marketed smaller venues, like a bunch of more, uh, a bunch of smaller venues. Because I'm not one of these people who can save up half a million dollars and just go to New York for three days or Las Vegas for five. Yeah, the ticket price kept me away. Um, I'm in money. Brooklyn. The ticket price kept me away. Yeah. Yeah, you could catch a train and be there in, what, 20 minutes? Uh, not that. Maybe in 40, 45 to an hour Javits Center. Yeah, maybe more about 45 minutes. Oh, okay. Well, still, you're, like, right there. That's, uh, yeah, unfortunately, myself, um, due to things going on at work and health, I wasn't even able to attend... Um, destination star trek in birmingham in the uk uh, um, this year so um so yeah well I, well don't don't feel don't feel bad about that midnight how many people didn't even know there was one to begin with because those people over there couldn't even market that properly yeah unfortunately destinations have never been great when it comes to actually marketing they leave announcing the actual convention till about six months before and especially on the 50th anniversary when a lot of people are sort of going to 
go to like Vegas. Um, so you've got people traveling from Europe, the UK, and it's just like, well, I've spent all my money. And I know a lot of people that said, well, I won't be going because, yeah, literally everything was spent getting to and from Vegas um, or um, Mission New York. Um, because those were the only ones people knew were announced. Yeah. And of course, they actually announced it a year in advance. Um, so, yeah, it, each year it's sort of trying to sort of get them to say something sooner. But um, even when it came to press pass, uh, I actually got told that I'd got a press pass um, two days before. So just like, well, okay, thank you. But because I was working um, and hadn't expected at that point to get one because it had been so long um, that, yeah, I didn't actually get it until probably about 18 hours before the event. So it's just like, well, I now can't make it. I have to work. So it, it was a shame. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. The thing is, if they want more people to sort of attend, then I still don't understand why they leave it so late. But hey. But for me, I think the biggest thing that I've done this year is my rewatch of Trek. So... Um, I've been, especially since Netflix in the UK got every episode of Star Trek, um, I've actually been re-watching all the series, or in the case of like the animated series, actually watching it for the first time, because it never really shows here in the UK. So, um, so yeah, I've enjoyed going back, because there's so many things that have happened, even when it comes to sort of like Star Trek Online and things like that. Um, that it's just like, yeah, I vaguely remember something about that. And yeah, rewatching it, it's just, it's just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so far I have watched all of the original series, the animated series, um, Enterprise, The Next Generation, and I'm halfway through Deep Space Nine. So. So far, I've watched 726 episodes. Good lord. Sorry, yeah, I was going to say, you watched yeah, a lot. There's a total of 726 episodes, and out of that, I've actually watched 462. So I've only got 264 remaining. <laughs> so, um, <Rookie>. yeah, <laughs> so, That's hardcore, man. So I'm yeah. just under <clears throat> a third of it, the... TV series to go, and I've rewatched all thirteen movies as well. So, um, so yeah, it's it's been nice getting back into them because there've been so many episodes that, due to work and podcasting and so many other things and so many other things on TV, especially new stuff coming out, that I just haven't seen Star Trek. So it's nice, sort of getting back into that. Yeah, for me this year, this past year, um, it's been quite the opposite, actually. I've had to push Star Trek away from myself so that I could focus on on making something entirely new. And uh, I didn't want to be influenced by Star Trek as much as possible. Because I didn't want there to be any any blowback at all. Because uh, that, was, that was a scary moment, finding out that we're suddenly treading on thin air. So... Uh, 
So I kind of, you know, put it all away and uh, tried to focus on just what we're building for our show. Yeah. Now, one of the other productions that um, was actually a Kickstarter, which has been released, was For the Love of Spock. Now, I finally got round to being able to watch that today, um, despite actually being a backer and getting early access and everything else. Um, yeah, I finally um, remembered to watch it because it's one of those things. It's just like, right, must remember to download it. And then something else cropped up. <laughs> um, so it's just like, ah, it's on Netflix. So I added it to my list. So I thought, right, I'll, while I'm getting ready for the show, I'll put DS9 on. And then I saw it on the list. It's like, oh, yeah, I've still got this to watch. So, yeah, actually went and watched For the Love of Spock. So watched that today. And it was so good. Um, it really was. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great documentary. And I, I honestly thought I was going to be bawling the whole movie. And I wasn't. So what about you guys? Dave, have you watched um, For the Love of Spock? Uh, I've seen it, yes, and um, I, you know, I had when my died because growing up, Captain Kirk was my hero, is my hero, and um, you know, as we all kind of get up in age, uh, you start to see obviously William Shatner still going strong, but he's also aging, you know, and you know, you have to deal with the fact that at some point this person is going to pass on, and that was the only thing in my head, and when Letter Nimoy passed, I had a very strong, very visceral reaction to it that surprised me. And, um, you know, I thought I was going to be all wrapped up in, in losing Shatner, but something about losing Letter Nimoy struck me in a really, uh, a really hard way. And, uh, and watching that documentary was uh, was hard yeah there's a lot of things and that it's just like because it is in a way quite personal especially coming from um his son adam and it's a lot of it is about their relationship and sort of with, like with so many celebrities you only see them in the spotlight you don't see all their struggles sort of behind the scenes i know in today's world you see a lot more of that because the tabloids just get it splash it all over the internet within seconds sort of thing so it's sort of completely different but especially back then a lot of this stuff you didn't really hear about so yeah even though i'm not really one for actually watching sort of like things to do with celebrities and their family life and relationships because to me if i'm watching something i'm watching them in their profession doing their acting i'm not interested in what they do at home or anything else like that i don't watch um any of these reality tv shows or anything else like that but yeah, the way that For the Love of Spock was done, it was done where, it, although you did have that aspect of his personal life, it was done in a good way that sort of just 
gave you information about the person and about how Leonard Nimoy put his effort into Star Trek and how that had an effect and sort of the other shows that he did had an effect on his kids and things like that. Because, of course, as fans of Star Trek, you don't always think about what effect Star Trek has had on their families. Um, well, and it, it was it was rather difficult for him for a time, too. I remember the, the books that he wrote, and, um, how he was so concerned about getting typecast into just the Spock character for the rest of his life, which, of course, happened. But um, it, it took him a while to kind of succumb to that, didn't it? Yeah. And I well, just he wrote like... the two books, uh, uh, I Am Not Spock and Then I Am Spock, like later... Right, but what I'm saying is it took him a while to to embrace it, I guess, is what I'm right. trying to say. Right, um, And I'd just like I, I to think something welcome else that was, to the show very quickly, was... um, just before we continue. Um, Carlos Pedraza from Axe Monitor. Welcome back to the show. Always great to be back with you guys. And we're currently just talking about For the Love of Spock. Which I have not seen yet, but it's in my Netflix queue. I noticed it on Netflix the other day, and I'm like, hey, guys, guys, it's on Netflix right now. If you've got Netflix, go watch it. The midnight, you should have handed this out as a homework assignment so that we could all <laughs> speak intelligently. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I said, I, I kept forgetting about it. on the same page. You've got to hand out homework when we do these productions. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do homework in high school. I, no, I did not. Yeah, but this is the fun kind of homework, Gary. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, but see, I'm the type of person that didn't do—I didn't do homework in high school either. But I still wind up passing all the tests. You were the, the kind of person with, I hate. With a low A, so. Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> no, no. And I'd also like to welcome back Zombie. Uh, we can't hear you, zombie. <laughs> no, zombie. Are you and also having audio issues? Well, zombie. well, we can, but he's just going. Arr. Yeah, that's all he's doing. Uh, Well, hopefully uh, Zombie can get his uh, sound sorted. Um, So, yeah, um, Gary, was it you that I interrupted when Carlos and that joined? Uh, No, we were talking about uh, For the Love of Spock, which, like Carlos, I have it queued up in my Netflix queue. Haven't watched it yet. I keep honestly, bad me, keep forgetting about it because other things are coming up now that I want to see. But uh, I I do agree that from what I've heard you guys say that it really, we only know the actor. We don't know the father or the person or whatever. And really, I, I think Midnight, did you say that you really watched the show and you only got the actor and you didn't care about anything else? Yeah, because when I watch a show, I'm just interested in what the the actor's portraying as a character, not sort of what happens sort of in their personal life. Sort of, I don't watch any of these reality TV shows. I don't go sort of um, watching or listening to any of these other sort of like magazines or stuff like that, which is all about who they're sleeping with, who they've broken up with. Oh, I, I so have, agree with you, Midnight. I, I just really have like entertainment no, tonight and what did I just come into? and all of, <laughs> that's all just, yeah, uh, I can't it's get all that sewer. <laughs> that that drives me nuts. I love David Tennant, but because of the way he 
portrayed the doctor on Doctor Who and the way he's doing on Broadchurch and how he did the Purple Man on uh, Jessica Jones. And I'm looking forward to now him being the voice of Scrooge McDuck. Yes. Oh, on God. The new, what? On the, uh, yep. On the Duck new DuckTales. Duck yeah, there's exactly. a new version of DuckTales coming out, oh, and he's God, going to play Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> but um, I don't care about David Tennant as a person. I got to kick the fact that he married Peter Davidson's daughter, who happened to play his daughter on the show, on the Doctor Who show. That was kind of yeah, interesting. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Thank yeah, you. but outside of that, I couldn't care less. There was a meme that was floating around Facebook a couple of weeks ago about people thinking that when I say that David Tennant as the Purple Man was a great character and that other evil people are great characters and people look at me like I'm crazy. They're horrible people. I, say, I don't care what they are as people. They're great characters. To that end, I don't care who's sleeping with who, and I don't care about keeping up with the Kardashians or any of that. If I may use the word crap, I will. If I can't, you'll bleep me. Crap out there. So you kidding me? We were use worse language on a Wednesday night, much less tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just like to welcome to the show a couple of extra people who have connected up. Sweet Jesus, get out the oil. We can't fit in here. So we have got joining us Jesper from the GNT show and Semantic Shenanigans. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Madam Justice, always good to hear your voice. Aw, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd also like to welcome back to the show Larry Nimacek. Hmm. You there, Larry? He's probably scrambling for a microphone. Hey. Larry the Mime? Or does he... Does he, is that it? He, there we go. He Yay. To push the talk button. <laughs> it's control. Okay, hey guys. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Welcome, Larry. You've just done a manu into Raimi. Uh, what you what you all forget is that every time I do team speak, it gets a thousand times easier and faster. So you laugh all you want, Fuzzball. I uh, that was actually amazing for me. Very very what a, true. Whatever you scruffy looking nerf herder. Right. <laughs> They get in trouble for crossing streams, I know. <laughs> as long as you're not a moof milker, I'm fine with that. Now, you guys uh, just joined us. We were talking about um, For the Love of Spock. Um, and sort of, some of us were sort of talking about um, sort of, there were parts of the documentary which was about the personal life, of course, of Adam and his father. Um, and which is where you heard about sort of not normally watching that sort of thing, which is what we came into when it was talking about people's tabloid gossip. Yeah. So um, if you got a bit confused with what the conversation was about <laughs> when you joined us. Oh, so, no, no, no. I just, you're going to make me get into the box of Kleenex, aren't you? <laughs> so yeah, the love of Spock. Um, what are your thoughts on the documentary? Oh, it was in, it was incredible, and 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 I've interviewed Adam a couple of times and talked to him, and and I I was interviewed. I was one of the thousands, I'm sure, at the early Vegas con, and I don't think, uh, and I know at the time they they were just there's a time when you're early in a documentary, you're just collecting words from people, and you may not even be sure exactly what the final focus is, and I'm sure what I was saying they weren't directing me, and I was just kind of making generic thoughts, and I know as they went along. 
like you were just saying, that there were some really personal moments there at the end. And I think that was wonderful. It was really kind of bold. And if they were looking at a complete picture of, of Leonard, it grew from, oh, look, here's this character of Spock to to the whole ball of wax and, and even getting into their personal dynamic because there was something there. And the fact that they had reconciled and gotten back together, I think, adds some texture to the whole thing. And I, I, don't, I don't know, was somebody upset that it got personal there at the end? Because um, I, I thought it gave a lot of weight to it that otherwise would just, oh, it's just another Star Trek you know, documentary, and it really made it a human yeah. story, I thought. Oh, yeah. No, what I was saying is I'm not usually one to sort of care about what's sort of going on in an actor's personal life um, and things like that. It's not the sort of thing I pay attention to. I don't watch any of the reality TV crap. I don't get tabloids because I don't care who's sleeping with who and who's broken up with whatever. It's just like, yeah, I just care about sort of what they're doing on screen. That's what I've sort of paid to watch, whether it's at the cinema or for my Sky subscription or whatever. Um, that's what I'm interested in. So this documentary, what I said was good, was the fact that it gave you all aspects of who Spock was um, and not just as the character, but the man behind the character and gave you an understanding about how sort of things happened and how it all evolved. And I just mm-hmm. thought sort of the documentary was extremely good. Um, oh, right. It, I was just amazed that, because I only just watched it today, you see, because um, it was one of these things that I was a backer to it, so I'd got early access, and I just kept forgetting to actually download it to watch. Shame on you. Shame and it was just like, every time it's mentioned, it's like, oh, I must do that, right? When I get back to my computer, I will do it. And then sort of usual thing, you get so stuck into so many other projects it's just like you forget about it again so it's just like oh and yeah then it came on netflix it's like ah excellent so i thought right so i added it to my list and thought right i will remember to do it i will remember to do it and one of the things i'm currently doing is re-watching all of star trek at the moment so um i thought okay i'll continue on my ds9 rewatch. So I went to go and select DS9 um, to continue. And then I saw in the list, the love of Spock. And I thought, nope, I'm watching that. <laughs> I will do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I watched it um, while I was preparing for today's show. And, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I, it's, it, it's anybody can go and do a Spock documentary or a Spock analysis. And, you know, oh, look, it's the, it's the 47th million person to talk about Spock as a character, yada, yada. But if it's going to be Adam talking about that from his own perspective and his dad's perspective and his perspective of his dad's perspective, then it should be something special. So it, and that was, and it was just, I just thought it was the right touch of, of uh, texture and context to bring to it. And, and, and nobody but Adam or someone from the family could give us an insight into his last, you know, his last, you know, few years and how the, the COPD just finally took him bit by bit from everybody. From even from them. So anyway, that was it. Just added to the power of it all. So it's just okay. So they there's one part of that movie that I am absolutely fascinated with because I would like to, I would like to see a copy of the thing. Does anybody know what that Nazi play he was supposed to be in was called? It, does anybody know if there's actually a recording of that somewhere? Um, I'll have to rewatch it to get the title. Um, 
But yeah, from what they were talking about, he played that role perfectly. Talking about something from I'm I'm getting past me right now. But talking about something from early in his career, like from the fifties or something. No, no, or? no, no, no. This is just it was after Star Trek when he started to go into a theater career, and one of the plays that he did was him being a a Nazi Jew and going on trial for something. I guess because um, yeah, the this end of was the war. sort of mid seventies, I think it was, if I recall. Okay, well, I'm sure we could find that. I'm sure somewhere we can find that. In the time when he was doing Equus and the Sherlock Holmes and uh, theater pieces and all that. Um, now, one of the other topics that um, we'd gone through um, near the beginning of the show was I'd actually asked everybody here about this being the 50th anniversary. What have you done that was special for the 50th? And what do you wish has or would happen for the 50th anniversary? Um, Larry, did you want to answer? The Wait, this year was the this was the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, didn't you know? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, didn't Larry like start some slap, kind of slap me down and call me year? Rip Van Winkle? I'm sorry, I I walked totally over what you were just saying. I said, I said, didn't Larry start some kind of portal thing this year? Well, I know he said he was going to when he was on the show earlier in the year, but. We actually launched <laughs> Portal 47 last fall, last September, and it's been a very – it's been really exciting to bring people and bring aspects of Star Trek out that have just been between the cracks for people, um, you know, between conventions and interviews and even podcasts. So uh, uh, that's – it's been really heartening. And whenever we have a guest on – because the there's a lot – there's eight pieces to it every month to the package – and we with our deep divers, I call them. But um, the highlights have to be when it's a live hour, hour and a half with me, and then a live hour and a half with me interviewing a one of the guests. And the guests are some people you've heard, but it's a lot of people you haven't. And we've I keep finding people from the original series. Um, and we had an open house for the first anniversary in September, and and Robert Butler, who directed the Cage, is still up, and he's eighty eight, but he's. Still going, and uh, it was just it was just amazing to hear him tell stories, and and uh, we just uh, thanks to uh, Mark Cushman, I'll give a shout out there. I found uh, I remember reading about her back in the day, but uh, Andrea Andrea uh, Kindred, who was Gene L. Coon's assistant, you know, who and Gene Coon who died of lung cancer very very early in the set in seventy three, and was not around for any of the Star Trek hoo ha to come around and. You know, be celebrated for the you know after Gene Roddenberry and maybe Dorothy and Bob Justman and Matt Jeffries, the person who gave the most to the to the content. You know, invented the Klingons and invented the Prime Directive and all that. But he was never around to get any of the accolades or to be interviewed and to share his insights because he died so young. And to have his assistant with us, um, who's got who's just a character and has a lot of other touches with history, uh, was just amazing. So I, that's that's the most gratifying thing out of the portal for me, and knowing that we're sharing this and we're getting things preserved, and and so yeah, so we're about to. Add, I've just an, announced a new kind of a premium level of Portal Forty Seven called Deck One, and um, uh, that's been exciting this year. But I mean, just all the fiftieth conventions, and and uh, oh my, my God, the Roddenberry Vault that just came out that Mike and Denise did with Roger Lay, and I've got a video chat coming at Trekline here as soon as I can get it done. Did did Wednesday morning and it, you know sell out on Amazon and the 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 two volume encyclopedia that they were allowed to update finally, I mean it's just been an incredible year and it almost seems like it doesn't end and then antithesis to that was on the actual day 
I wanted to do something on the eighth, which was a Thursday night, and we just had them, and like like people were doing all over the country, all over the world. We just got to, I just um, got together with John Champion from from Mission Log Podcast and good friend of mine, and I said let's co-sponsor just a get a meetup at Lucy's El Adobe, the restaurant across from Paramount, and uh, that that Gene had been in. That they actually have a signed picture, Gene among many other signed Hollywood pictures, and we just had this, you know, thirty, twenty, thirty people came over and just had drinks. And we had a little trivia, and I had a big 50th birthday card people could sign. And it was just, after all a crazy long year, it was just a nice, simple little way. And I met a lot of new people from you know around LA that I didn't, that I hadn't met before. And it was just a really nice, kind of simple, you know, quiet way to with all the hoopla. So that's that's kind of been the highlight of my years. And I and here at the very end, I should say, <laughs> after about six nine months, my new website finally got launched just the last week or so. So that's yay. Been, yay! Hey, that's been fun. <laughs> okay, I'm going to It's been in. a long time. I'm I'm, I'm going <laughs> to dive in with the I'm going to dive in with the tough question here, um Larry, um what's what's the story with continues at this point? What what is the future going to bring us there? Wow, it just went quiet. <laughs> that awkward silence. Is there anything kind of is there anything Larry can say about continues at this point? Does he? Does I think he know anything? I think all you can say is it's continuing. Yeah. Okay. Um, nice well, you know, cryptic response. Pat well, Pitney. you know, I, I think you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time getting anyone on the record to tell you in detail anything. Just because uh, if we've learned nothing by now, we've learned that you shouldn't be poking bears. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. No, Vic has. I know come all out too well. It. Yeah, no, Vic has said that they are planning to um, finish off um, what they'd started, but no other information has been released so far. Yeah. Uh, all I know is I, I, I have loved every minute of it. Um, I'm just thrilled by it. I love what they're do- I love what, what you've done with it. I love what everyone's doing with it. It's just been fantastic. Um, and, and I'm just hungry for more at this point. So now I'm not, gonna, not hearing anything is like, guys, I, I, I'm going to jump in before Jim gave us that wonderful pregnant pause and scared Larry off. And I'm going to double back to the question of what the play was that Leonard Nimoy was starring in. Yeah. Thank you. That play was called The Man in the Glass Booth. He played Arnold oh. Goldman, who was an much. industrialist who made, became a millionaire after World War II, after surviving a concentration camp, who was kidnapped by Israeli spies, brought back to Israel, and accused of being a Nazi, Nazi sympathizer. And that movie was out in 1968, was also made into a, uh, rather the play was out in 1968, also made into a movie, which I believe Nimoy starred in, in 1975. So there you go. Huh. Yeah. Gary has very strong Google foo. Yes. <laughs> Data. So Larry, for the 50th anniversary, is there anything that you think should have happened, which hasn't? You still I think Larry? Jim gave Larry a heart attack. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. The, hit the damn button. One of the, the themes button. tonight has been the people... It was a legit question, guys. <laughs> hit the button, Larry. Hit the button. I just start talking and assume somebody's listening. No, I just said, for, for years and years, we said, you know, the ultimate 50th anniversary present would be get a damn show back on TV. Get Thank you. Get a damn you. episodic series back. If only... Oh, wait. Oh, wait. 
Yeah, that was kind of the pinnacle event that I'm glad. I, I don't know. Here's the thing, and I keep meaning to blog on this or write a piece about this, an op-ed. Um, somebody, I guess, showed up and had a cranky boss one day at one of the big you know, internet sci-fi sites and wrote this piece about how CBS and Paramount botched the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And I was like, excuse me, what? So I, you know, I don't know. You've got a movie and an announced new series and all these incredible events Central, you know, conventions and also, tri- you know, tour shows and the con- the orchestral tour show and the uh, the, uh, at the Intrepid at New York. And I, I don't know. I don't get TV specials all over the wazoo. The Enterprise restored at the Smithsonian. I don't I don't get it. I, every convention, big and small, having a Star Trek focus, the biggest ever Star Trek footprint at San Diego Comic-Con, you know, the granddaddy of the Comic-Con. I don't understand how anybody would say that. So I that that kind of. But then some things that happened on the internet by supposed fans j- doesn't surprise me at all anymore. So, mm. yeah. Uh, well, one uh, of the things I, I did actually see the orchestral Star Trek, and that that really was nice. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I caught that at uh, the Paramount in New York City. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it came I, to my city. It was amazing. I mean, did somebody have something that they thought? Did somebody have something they thought should have happened that didn't, or they had a wish list, or you know, a, a whatever that didn't happen? Well, there was one thing that I missed, and I'm just two hours away from the sets in Ticonderoga. And uh, James Cawley had Doug Drexler there as a guest. Oh, right, a right. Very, very detailed tour of those sets. And I, I've, I've helped with those sets. So I'm quite familiar with them. Gar- Gary's been there. He's helped. It's, God, Brian's been there, been with uh, P2 for years. Uh, so we're old. We're all old P2 people at this point. We're just and, old. Um, well, that too, but I'm not going to brag on yep. that. But but I wish I could have gone to that. I had something else going on, and I couldn't tear myself away from it. I was committed to something else and couldn't go, and it just killed me that I couldn't get to that because I've been dying to meet Drex, for one thing, and 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 I know that I, I you know, being a friend of James's, I, I could have, you know, been tucked under someone's wing very nicely during that whole thing, and it would have really been enjoyable. But um, uh, I do regret missing that. Oh, well, you know, maybe that'll cycle around. There's no reason why. I hope so. You know, one thing to me has been I wondered how much going into the 50th, because I, I would talk about 5-0 fever and how every all the conventions and our, our tour that we do every two years was mm-hmm. double in size. And we added some extra stuff. You know, we added a San Francisco component. But how everything, the Vegas show, you know, then they added the Mission New York with Reed Pop, which was a nice step, um, Room to Grow. But how, how everything was just bigger and bigger. And I kept wondering, you know, 2017, is it all, everybody's going to wake up with a hangover and everything? How much will things recede? And, of course, discovery on the way is going to – won't let that completely happen. But I've just been curious to see how much – when the tide goes out <laughs> from high tide of the 50th, you know, how far out it will go and where we'll, where we'll be. And um, that will be kind of curious to see. And, you know, and if all the new fans that have come in the last year, two years, three years, four years, five years – and and I think a lot of people have come back to fandom. Uh, how much of that'll stick? And you know, we'll, we'll see. That's, that's one thing I'm curious about. I could only speak for myself, Larry. I know I am not hungover yet. Uh, I <laughs> didn't go to Star Trek in New York City. Miss Star Trek missions. I have a lot of friends who did. A lot of friends who displayed there. Uh, and being in New York, I was inundated with it, even though I wasn't there. Um, I'm not hungover yet. I don't feel that from my friends who are Trekkers or just sci-fi enthusiasts in general. 
I think the Kelvin universe actually, as much as old diehards will poo-poo it, helped revitalize and bring a lot of people to it. And I think Discovery is only going to add to that if they do it right. I don't think we're going to see a hangover at all. I think we're going to see a reinvigoration of Trek and the entire space opera genre. Well, I think the key word you used there was if they do it right. Yep. Big right. That's what we have to wait and see. Whether the glass is half full or the glass is half empty, let's just hope that the glass has something in it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> besides well, a, worth besides a, high, a yeah. waterline stain that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lipstick. Old lipstick. Yeah. Now, Jesper. Um, what about yes. you for the 50th anniversary? What Have you done anything special for the 50th? And is there something that you think should have been done for the 50th? Well, um, well, the, the big thing I did for the 50th was I went to um, the New York convention. So, And I had not been to a Star Trek convention, so yay, that was fun. And, um, and, and also apparently I'm, pre- I'm back to reading law junk. <laughs> Again, uh, which uh, is not necessarily a special thing I'm doing for the 50th, but uh, apparently I'm I'm caught up in it for, uh, it, you know, I I got nothing better to do. I'll just sit and read legal documents. Um, <laughs> I call shenanigans. <laughs> Thank you. It's so, not like there's a lot of these documents now, is there? I, just just a few thousand pages. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, it's it, a little novel. It's a light read. <laughs> it's a light read. Yes. Uh, well, it, you know, the, so the thing that's sort of missing for me is, uh, you know, I always want stuff for Enterprise. You know, the redheaded sp- stepchild. That's what I always want. So I'm I'm hoping for an enormous. Uh, movie uh theme park uh extravaganza which i know will never ever happen so uh i'll just sit quietly in the corner right now and bleep and read whatever the hell comes down on pacer today because there's going to be more legal documents because i just haven't read enough and we haven't killed enough trees (laughs) more more trees trees are definitely and she's an environmentalist that's cool (laughs) i i would say that the return of a star trek experience type you know, in immersive event would be kind of the cherry on top at this point. But but part of it's been a waiting game because the JJ movies, the, the excuse me, the Kelvin timeline movies, you know, <laughs> they part of the reason why I think <laughs> how he said that though. Yeah. No, I mean that's the formal name. That's the formal name now. Me because, took you know, a little sarcasm there. Uh, that's I detected that too. I, I just had my tea saucer and my pinky extended. That's all. Um, but, but <laughs> <laughs> you guys, but no, I'm saying we're that, very you know, classy here. Ah, we are. But I'm. Yes, what I'm saying is that. There's all that rot. <laughs> the the <laughs> world of Admiral McBride. Stones with your tea. Yeah, it's very unorthodox. <laughs> well, I'm not a lumberjack, and I say. Um, no, um, <laughs> someone cue the spam song. Oh, let's not spam, say we did spam, right spam, the spam, 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 spam. <laughs> No, there's there enough spam on the internet, guys, without going there. No, what I'm saying was that when the when when <laughs> Bad Robot, yeah, I know, sorry, it's pathetic. Uh, I I demand my money back. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is when Bad Robot didn't branch out with a series or even an animated series to support the Kelvin timeline alternate universe, and this was just going to be a function of. Three but they or had four. comic books. Yeah, right, 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 right. 
Um, so we made sure novels. that uh, so there's Leonard that. and Sheldon have read those books. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, <laughs> but my point is they're not doing anything to really penetrate most of fandom or even the mainstream and even take advantage of that. So the point being that when you rebuild a Star Trek experience-ish attraction, immersive experience, what are you going to do? Are you going to have – because, you know, even even Vegas was – the original experience in Vegas was – what was hot at the time was DS9 and the TNG DS9 Voyager era and that design aesthetic. And it was exciting, you know, and people knew quarks, even though DS9 wasn't setting the ratings on fire because, you know, we were splitting the audience and all that. But people still had a lot of fun there. It was very recognizable. It was from a weekly show and you got it. And the JJ movies haven't given us any, aside from maybe the bridge, there's been no real aesthetic for people to walk in and go, oh, you know, and have that emotional attachment to it without having a series that would, you know, bring it to your living room every week. So part of the dilemma has been, what do you do? And then it's like, well, do you do like some of the, the temporary theme shows have been around the around the world and you have a little TOS, you have a little of this, you have a little of that, you know, what do you, what do you do? So maybe having a series on again, if it takes off and there's a real design aesthetic that takes off. And becomes emotional, you know, has some resonance for people, and we just see it over and over again, and it becomes home again for Trek people. Then maybe that'll give some direction to what a new a new part could be. Otherwise, you might have a historical, you know, and the comeback thing that was going to be done in Vegas was going to do that. They were going to have a piece of original series, a piece, you know, they have three or four pieces that would be almost like a, you know, the lands of Disneyland or something, but. You know, that didn't happen. But that's that's kind of the major because everybody would I mean, like CBS wants to see it and the fans want to see it. And I'm sure Vegas or whatever town would get the sales tax wants to see it back. So, you know, that would but that is that's the cherry on top that I think the Sunday that maybe the one thing that we're missing right now that would be great to have again. I, I have got to point this out that, Larry, you have subconsciously injected very sexual things into just about everything you have said. You said big package, deep divers, and now you've just gotten through saying penetrate. <laughs> penetrate the fandom. Hello. Did Is I? there anything you want oh to tell us? My. Larry? <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, the episode immunity syndrome. I've been <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, Larry did, make a, Larry did make a good point, and we did eventually let him get to it. I was going to say you guys totally sniffed me out there. I, I knew I was going to do this for a couple of weeks, and I've been making a list of all the right sniff. bad metaphors to say, including sniff. Well, he knows his, he knows his crowd, doesn't he? <laughs> We're all perverts. Um, yeah. Dave has actually sent me a message saying to pass along his apologies for um, all his disconnections. Um, he's been bouncing more than a kangaroo. Um so he sends his best wishes for a happy holiday to everyone and oh, sorry, connection Dave. rates in sorry, 2017. Dave. So Damn. thank you very much for joining us, Dave. Um, just a shame that your connection's been a bit poor today. Yeah, it, was just spot, it was me. spotty. Yeah. So him. what we're saying is Dave was cut short. <laughs> so he did also say that he blames Larry, which I completely agree with that. It's just always Larry's fault. It's always Larry's so, fault. <laughs> Oh, no, no. He saw me coming on and dodged it. He'd totally get the hell out of Dodge. So, but no. yeah, thanks, Dave. Dave's good. We do appreciate it. And Dave you're is welcome to come back at any time. Dave is actually going to be our January uh, Portal 47 guest, finally, after after being on our very premiere show for a short bit. So uh, nice. excited for that. Yeah. Same. 
keep an eye Dave, out for Dave that. needs to be out at conventions an awful lot more. I'm just saying, if there's convention uh, uh, promoters out there, convention organizers, um, he, you know, he can he can turn on his stand up comic knob, uh, you know, control knob anytime and go into that. But just sitting and listening to him, you know, talk because he was there at the he was there at the desk. So. Um, for most of the for you know from mid next gen all the way through to the end so and then and then worked on the original series remastered was was on board before the Akutas were so mm-hmm. even so, appeared oh. in part of the remastering as well sorry he even appeared in part of the remastering as well well if you're going to do it why not jump in yourself of course right uh, now Carlos I haven't asked you the question yet fiftieth anniversary what have you done. If anything, and is there anything that um, you think should have been done? Well, I was, you know, largely satisfied with uh, uh, with what was planned. Uh, I, I would have loved to have had Discovery premiere in in the fiftieth anniversary year. Um, I'm content to wait until it's ready to go. Um, so, uh, so it's not it it doesn't trouble me over over much, but. Um, uh, you know, and I would have liked to have seen Beyond uh, have done better at the box office, but I, I think that's more a symptom of, you know, what's going on with films these days than than it is uh, anything about Star Trek in particular. But um, yeah, the whole of twenty six. Yeah, in the cinema, yeah. the whole of twenty sixteen has not been so great for films, really, has it? Uh, it's uh, it, it's a shame. It was not the only uh, you know blockbuster, even well reviewed blockbuster that. Uh, uh, that suffered the same fate. So um, I, I really liked it. Um, I thought this, the story um, avoided some of the mistakes that uh, that uh, the 2009 film did and, and that uh, Into Darkness did. So um, I, I had fun with it. Um, you know, obviously there's some things that cast a pall over the uh, the 50th, but in terms of the events, I think um, I'm, I'm largely satisfied with how it, how it turned out, and, and very much looking forward to discovery. Now, yeah, uh, well, you, yeah, you know, his, historically, historically, I know what your disappointment is about having it in the anniversary year, but there's only so much you can cram into one year. And remember, on the 20th anniversary year, which was the first one that Paramount went, oh, maybe we should like commercialize this and make our anniversaries a big deal now. <laughs> um, they and that was when they announced Next Generation, which was the huge, you know, game changer. And, you know, Next Generation came out in 87, a year later, but they at least announced it and had the news, you know, in the fall of 86. So um, so there's, you know, even precedent for that, which is why I was – I knew there was – obviously it wasn't a show in production unless they were, you know, doing it like the Germans for the Battle of Bulge and it was in some underground bunker being made. But but if they would at least just come out with a plan to do something, that would, that would again, be some icing on the cake for the 50th. So, you know, we got that. So I'm that's happy. That's a good thing. Now, Let's just get it done now. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that Timberwolf brought up um, when sort of I'd asked him about this um, was the fact that he was disappointed in the way many things were sort of marketed. Um, because, yeah, you just don't see things in the shops. Um, well, you don't. So I was just wondering, because, of course, as Timberwolf had mentioned, you go into even sort of a supermarket, you've got stuff there for Star Wars, but yet 50th anniversary of Star Trek, new film out, new TV series coming out. 
and you walk into a supermarket and there's nothing there at all for Star Trek. So what are your thoughts on that aspect of it? Let's let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. The BBC markets Doctor Who better than CBS markets Star Trek. BBC markets Star Trek better than CBS markets Star Trek. <laughs> Fact. Who, not in the UK, they don't. <laughs> were were no, you throwing that? Say that. Okay, BBC America does. Were you throwing that as a general question? Were you asking me or somebody else? Or I didn't want to be like quiet if you were asking me. Um, I was asking you, Jesper, and Carlos. Well, I would say a CBS would love to have you know a, on, a, on a crass level would be love to making more money from licensed everything that was in every you know supermarket and every time you turn around. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. And I think there was more – it crept up a little bit this year, but the, we're sitting here going, well, and there's a new series on the way. But nobody knows what that looks – I mean you can't put Phantom New Series logo on packaging and have people get excited and buy it. You can't put non-existent characters on things and have people – so yeah. we know it's there, but so that's one thing that's not actually helping. And the movie was disappointing and came and went, and I thought it was the best of the three too. But it's – again, it's nothing there to really resonate with people – in a way, it's like maybe they are competing with the originals and, you know, the, the, the pictures of Kirk for, for a certain, I don't know, under 30, under 20 audience. Kirk Spot McCoy is Chris Pine and, and, um, I started to say Todd, <laughs> Zach Quinto, <laughs> Zach Oops. Quinto and Carl Urban, but, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, but again, it's numbers. They would love the, the stuff there, but I, but here's my hope. My little secret dark dream is that when Discovery – and I was really disappointed with a lot of things with the January delay to May. For one thing, it, it cuts closer to summer con season. But my secret little dark desire is that Discovery becomes this incredible breakout hit with like you know the, the, the 15 and unders, <laughs> the, you know, the, the teenagers and middle school kids and the cosplay kids that are just starting to feed the Comic-Con marketing pipeline. And we see a million whatever um, uh, Shaquenda's uh, character's name is or whatever, if she has some distinctive costume, something about the new show becomes this overnight Comic-Con. Everybody's doing it just like everybody was doing um, you know, Bay from, from uh, Force Awakens or whatever. I was surprised there weren't more Jayla's. That was kind of sad to me. But I think if you have more than just a movie, if you get a, a series and, and debuting in May is going to – Push that down the pipeline, you know, where people can jump in and do it in summer. But then I hear this rumor that cosplayers are ingenious. But, um, uh, you know, that's that's my secret wish is to see some breakout thing of that, make it hot, hot, hot. And that start not that us old timers need Star Trek to be hot, 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 but that it really catches fire that way. And then when that happens, then you will see, you know, party napkins and paper plates in grocery stores with the Star Trek faces on it. But that I mean, that's not going to happen right now. So. But it's not like for lack of trying. It's like CBS – and I will say something else. People were kind of making fun of the MAC makeup uh, display at Vegas and a few other places. I don't know if there was a big – if they had a big pre- – I think they did have a presence at the New York Mission too. Um, but No, no, that, they didn't. Sorry. They didn't? OK. There we go. But that was a – I mean people are, oh, look at the space this thing is taking up. You could have had more things here in the, at Vegas and, and some, they were a sponsor at, at Comic-Con San Diego. But just as a commercial – not just as a commercial income provider, but that was a huge mainstream step for Star Trek. I mean, kudos on CBS for selling that account and then for Mac to embrace it so much, and they went all out. And and is whatever that brought to every little Mac, you know, makeup cosmetics store, 
and it was it was appealing to a female demographic. It was so many. It was so good on so many levels. Uh, I mean, it, you know, my first inkling was, well, this is interesting. But then it took me ten seconds, and I thought, well, my God, this is. I don't buy cosmetics, so it didn't get me at first how mainstream that was. So well, it's sure, not but- like that's not how, like having it in your grocery store everywhere. I get it, but that was like the kind of step that needed to be built on. I mean, they could have used five or ten more of those, but for them to get that, and and maybe if we're laying the groundwork, and maybe if you know, discovery or if a new a new era of short, you know, modern BBC premium channel type seasons starts hitting and Star Trek takes off and is irrelevant in in the in the poor mundane eyes of the world if they see Star Trek being more even more relevant um you know maybe we'll have more of that but well it's we not can for only lack hope of that that would be the case but but the, the point that Timberwolf was making earlier and I think it was before you you got online was was you look at how Star Wars is being marketed right now my god we got Star Wars freaking toothpaste and uh, and things like that. And, Star Wars and that was oranges. Well ahead, and, and all, Star Wars is always marketed like that. And, and CBS. The point I made prior was that uh, Star Trek, as far as CBS is concerned, is that adopted child, and and just doesn't seem to get the attention that the other kids get. And and it's disappointing to us who who know that kid really well and thinks he's cool. You know. Well, it could also. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to keep hogging time. I was going to say it's not. There's at least two or three people who still work in licensing who have been around from the Paramount days. So this division about CBS and Paramount and CBS treating it like a stepchild, they're they're desperately trying to do things. But one arm, you know, like consumer products can't go tell production what to do. You know, I mean, like it's it is different arms. It's not a big monolithic, uh, you know, uh, transformer that works in uniformity here. But they are doing – in fact, before there was a series announced, Consumer Products was running around doing all they could in, on their own, like the Trek talks. They were setting up a lot of these things before we knew there would be a big announcement of a series to come and that the movie might have been the highlight. And it was, you know, and it was troubled by, by you know, reworking the staff and going in a different direction and doing it behind the gun, behind schedule. So Is that, is yeah. that, that split between Paramount and CBS – well, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a split because they're different corporations. And back at the, I mean, what I always call the Viacom divorce, it's no one person's fault. It's just the way it's happened. It's just the way it's structured. Then. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, you know, I think that J.J. Abrams' complaint about, um, about the bifurcation of Star Trek and how that got in the way of, uh, of, uh, you know, merchandise and licensing of, uh, of, of the Star Trek, uh, movies. Um, is probably a, a well-placed criticism, but as far as CBS is concerned, I, I really get the sense that they're uh, they have stuck with with licensing. And I think that uh, when when Discovery um, finally hits, I was going to say the airwaves, but really I guess it's the interwebs. Um, you're going to see a lot a lot more happen on on that note as well. Um, you know, I think that the opportunity. Uh, from, uh, you know, being online uh, allows will allow people to discover it on their own terms to binge it. Um, you know, I, I think that that uh, the effect that you saw with Breaking Bad when uh, its early seasons were released on Netflix and and that grew its audience because people you know came out during the summer, uh, people uh, got to discover it and recommend it to one another, and there wasn't always a you know. Uh, this this sense of oh I'm behind and they keep making new episodes so I'm getting further behind that 
that drives away a lot of people from serialized uh, shows. And uh, being an online show that's streaming and that will allow people to binge, I think, offers some um, some real commercial potential. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just having binge watching available f- on Netflix and the other streamers for, for DS9 has made DS9 probably three times more popular than it was when it was on the air because people would say, oh, I get lost. I, lo- I missed one show and now I'm behind because they, although you have, if you miss one show, you're just lost. Well, that's the mantra of the binge watch generation. So yeah, everywhere I go, I always take a poll to see where people are and what their favorites are and you know, and and, and DS Nine is always two or three times more popular now than it was when it was on the air at three a.m. on you know Channel eighty two in Buffalo because it was preempted for three hockey games in a row or something crazy. Well, I suppose one of the things with Deep Space Nine is that is a lot more relevant to things that have been happening in the real world over the last sort of ten fifteen years with sort of terrorism and. Um, war and things like that, followed by sort of the final season of Enterprise. Um, so I suppose in that respect, it sort of resonates a lot more with people going back and watching it. Oh, well, the, back when it's like I've said this before, Star Trek always finds these cutting edge paradigms that no one no one respects until it's too late. Like you know the old story about Star Trek, you know the the perfect demographic. Star Trek appealed to the original series and it was canceled and then they came up with demographic study a year later and said, oh, your perfect show is Star Trek. Oh, we just canceled it. And then it takes off in the reruns and and poor Enterprise, you know, the last year or so, the people, it was the n- number one most TiVo'd show or it was in the top five TiVo'd shows when we talk like that with the brand name. Um, but it was like, oh, but that's not real ratings. How are we going to charge advertising you know, for that? We have to have them watching the network. That's a nice little curiosity to know. And now that's factored into you – know, there are press releases and people track all of the you know, delayed, delayed watching and recorded watching and all that. Yeah, so, and the shame of that was that uh, the Enterprise was just getting its second wind and really kicking into some interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Unfortunately, it had, it had lost a uh, huge – portion of its of its audience so uh Definitely. yeah it was I, I think the victim of uh well what star trek has always been the victim of which is um you know a, a network uh, uh broadcast slot in prime time is not where star trek is going to do its its uh its its best um it's just not where where it pays to be star trek uh it does pay to be star trek on the internet it does pay to be star trek um you know where where people can can find it whenever they want, rather than being forced to wait to, for it to be spoon fed to them. Right, and pre streaming, the way so many people grew up with it was, you know, after school at four or five o'clock or or whatever. The, the daily reruns of the original and the next gen, and you know, and now all these all the you know BBC America and and all the other ones that have oh, what's that other new. Uh, Heroes and Icons has all the Star Treks on there, but that's kind of a, a midway gap between bro- a single broadcast airtime and and pure streaming. But it gets to that; it's more flexibility for people, and it's more more chances. And that's that's when every Star Trek is taken off. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Next Generation uh, basically created the um, the first first run syndication market. Um, well, right, right. You know, so it it wasn't bound to, you know, to a time slot, a national time slot by a national uh, network to, to have to be successful. It allowed 
local stations to decide when it was the best time to air it and to potentially air it more than once within a week. And, and that's how it made it, its money. And um, it, it spawned right. a whole generation of, of shows that followed in its wake. And, 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 that's, and, that's and free really... from the bean counters looking over their shoulder every 10 seconds. You know, give us some latitude and let us go and have a little bit more than, you know, oh, you, you didn't become the number one show on TV in four weeks. You're out of here. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point, too, about Enterprise and TiVo. Guys, everybody made such a big deal about – I mean, Battlestar, Ron's Battlestar was such a huge hit when it came out, but it was on a, on a cable network. And even though UPN was crippled a little doofus UPN, it still had a bigger reach than the sci-fi network. And the ugly little truth is that the last year of Enterprise, which was the year it overlapped with the first year of Galactica – and and BSG was such a breakout, you know, critics, darling, fan favorite, all that. There were a million more people a week still watching Enterprise than BSG. Yep. But but like it was the whole perceptual thing of little fish, big pond, big fish, little pond. Yeah. Right. There's also an economic argument there. The, the standards for success for a cable show are, are different than the standards for success for broadcast because right. cable provides – uh, a floor to the amount of of income that any network gets just by existing and being part of of the offerings of any of the of the cable systems, um, and so that means that it will always make a certain amount of money uh, for for its shows. And broadcast networks don't have anything like that, which means that if you if you're going to succeed on broadcast, you have to really succeed. Whereas a success on cable. Um, is easier to achieve, and there, there's uh, because they've got that that floor, that uh, uh, that financial floor underneath them. They can afford to let shows find their audience. Um, and again, I think when that, whenever Star Trek has been in that kind of a position, it has flourished. When it has to go head to head with uh, you know national uh, demographics uh, on in a in one time slot once a week, that's where it doesn't do so well. Well, and that's where I'm hoping our production, the, the Outer Rim, is going to uh, grab people because we're going to be strictly on the Internet, and, and the sky's the limit there. The nice thing about detrekifying what we were going to do is, is being able to market our stuff, to be able to uh, monetize what we're doing, and it isn't just going to be you know, coffee cups and T-shirts and baseball caps. There's going to be a whole slew of other things that we can do. We can Blu-ray our, our work. We can, you know, the sky's the limit there. And and that is the ultimate plan is to get it out there. Now, if someone sees what we're doing and likes it and wants to pick it up, well, bonus. Hey, bonus. give us money. Hey, throw it at us. Far man. be it for you to stand in their way. Well, uh, but the, but the, <laughs> exactly. I don't think you, is that six zeros? Come right on in. But I look at I look at the stories that we have lined up and, and the fact that, you know, the first next year we're building our sets and the following month we're shooting out that pilot episode and it's going to blow the walls out. I, I look at the quality of our scripts and and oh, my God. So so we're beyond excited. And when we look at the Internet market, holy cow, guys, uh, I just I don't see anything standing in our way at all. So yeah, really, really what stoked. happened this past year did us a huge favor. And it, when it really I look did. back, it, it really did us a favor because it kicked us in the ass at just the right time. What's the what's the tone of, of Outer Rim? 
the outer rim is is kind of out, outer limits, but strictly in outer space. Uh, it's it's in a, a an entirely different universe from wh- where Star Trek exists, but with a similar kind of uh, uh, eth- ethical compass. Except that uh, uh, corporations run run the government, and the government is run by the corporations, and uh, and and the ships are about exploration, but mainly for the acquisition of materials and resources and that sort of thing. But the undertone is that the captains of these vessels would rather be strictly explorers, and they see that there is this avarice among the corporations, and there is this uh, unrest among the captains who would rather be strictly explorers and not be usurping other societies. Um, you've got a small consortium of planets, and uh, and and there's this unrest boiling just beneath the surface. Yeah. Okay. And, no, and I'm just hoping, wondering, and we're hoping to, you know, have that all come to a boil at some point. The great yeah. thing about what we're able to do is really mirror a little bit of what's going on in the world today with the companies yes. and what many people would call an oligarchy. Uh, is going on with the companies really running the governments. And what science fiction and Star Trek did so great is hold that mirror up to us and force us to look at ourselves while being entertained. And really, these are the issues and what we want to explore with the three shows that make up The Outer Limits, being uh, Brian's show, Sweepers, mean, of which Rift rim. is out of rim. What'd I say? Outer Limits? I, you said Outer I, Limits. No, I, yeah, I was um, Brian's show with Sweepers, which is Rift, which is we're going to be filming in uh, February. Uh, Challenger, which was the retooled Star Trek fan film that we're doing. And another show that we had always planned from the beginning called Mother are all going to inhibit this planet, this universe, this oligarchy, and show that underneath tension of, okay, I'm getting a paycheck, but really I don't like what's going on here what can be done? I'm really looking forward to this. Jim really made a really good, good transition with a lot of what he likes to call connective tissue. And I think the fans are going to love it out there. And I can't wait for everybody to see it. Now, the one thing we did throw out there that was Star Trek, we did. We were wanting to take uh, Assignment Earth and run with that kind of pick it up, let's say, a year into the series. Right. And, and consider the idea that, you know, X amount has happened up to this point. And we we did a and it's out there. You can find it. It's it's uh, it's called Assignment Earth. The and it's a little vignette called Boredom. And uh, and it's just a a few minutes of Roberta Lincoln's day in the office. Yeah, and, it's it's cute. It's good. <laughs> oh, oh, have you seen it? Have you? Yeah, seen it? I think so. Yeah, I think if it, it yeah. can only be one Roberta Lincoln Assignment Earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 our girl, uh, Sarah Medigee. She is awesome. And she's going to be in Rift. Uh, we're kind of doing a, a American Horror Story thing where we can continue to use the same cast in different shows. And what Jim is trying to say is we're poor. We have no money and we only we have, have like no a limited actors. number of volunteers. So we, have, we have a limited. A- yeah, that's what he's saying. Really good talent. So what we're doing is recycling them as much as we can. But but that's but that's Sarah Mitigy is Roberta Lincoln. And she just blew the walls out. I thought she was terrific. She and really that did. was just a little she- taste of what we were going to bring. Um, and 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 people went nuts. 
So we knew that we were on the right track. And and we shot that in less than a day. We just we just knocked it out real quick. And uh and the response was gigantic. So Oh yeah. Really, well, it's a totally really un- excited about where we're heading. It's a totally unexplored area that would be I mean, you know, it was a good idea that they had as a spin-off as a as a oh actor God, pilot yes. that June. Yeah, it was a great great bit. And look how many great. echoes of that have been used in shows since that where that could have gone or, or you know with the sense of x files or i don't know a million other things i'm not thinking of no i we when i asked you about the- we, we haven't given up on it yet either we're, we're just going to set that on the background and wait to see you know what other fires get stamped out and hopefully we can come back to it later right right no that's the, you guys you totally stole my question but you should because it's your project but i was that when i said what's the tone my whole point was going to be that the times we're living in it's almost like we circle back to the 60s and uh, everything that made Star Trek appealing to people in the beginning is we're about to be back there again after, you know, all and those 90s got a little cushy. we want to take advantage of that. And we absolutely want to do every, – every time we, we sit down and look at a script, I, I still – though it's not Star Trek, I continue to ask myself, what would Roddenberry do and, and how would and he And I'm always this? the voice on the other end of the phone going, Jim, we're no longer Star Trek. Shut up. Yeah, but I want to have that tone. And the reason I want to have that tone is because there's there's a love affair with that. And and because there's a love affair with that, I want people to look at our show and though it's not Star Trek, I want them to feel like they've come home in some Wait. regard. Well, you know, everything went so black and white dark after 9-11 and reflecting the the mood. And, you know, we got all the dystopian and we got the vampires and the werewolves and the zombies Ugh. and all of that. And Nothing I really wrong think with we're that, by the way. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, aside from having 10 years of a fad of that, movies and TV, both, just like the Westerns were, you know, everybody was gagging on Westerns. And, but then you would take that format and do something with it unusual, like Wild Wild West or, or, or Paladin. Uh, not Paladin. Well, uh, uh, what was Paladin called? I've just gone blank. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Good grief. We're always talking about it. Um, <laughs> I'll try to find I can it. see the business card. Anyway, oh, wow. Uh, I went completely blank. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but my, my point is that have when gun, everything we'll is – Have gun, will travel. Right. But when you are gagged by it over – like, and, you know, procedurals and everything, and that's – then you get the satires and the spoofs and the jumping off where they actually – it becomes fantasy or horror or sci-fi, but it's couched in – you know, you, you people find – try to find diversity even when there is an overriding, you know, genre that's gagging, that's, that's suffocating everything, and that's what everybody thinks has to be, and it's been procedurals for so long, and procedurals are slugging it out with – you know the cable nets kind of let things open up a little bit, and now we've you know we've got all the the zombies and vampires and what have you, and the, and the you know the once upon a times and the Grimms and all that. But I think we're circling back around to needing something that's just that's not black and white, that's not dystopian post Holocaust, or if it is, it's it's emerging from that with the the vestiges of hope and the optimism, you know, coming out of the ashes. And, um, so, you know, I think Discovery is going to tap that. I think what you guys are talking about is going to tap that and people are, are going to be hungry for it. So, you know, good on you and good luck. Well, Go, good you. luck getting to that, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, totally I'm really positive about where we're heading with this. I really think we've got, got a tiger by the tail here. And, and another thing that happened in a good I, way, I said to every one of us in a good way. And, and what I said to everyone in our, in our group that writes really well, I said, just start writing. Just start writing all kinds of things. This is going to be an anthology. Just and, and I don't care what it is you write. So so Gary here, he he started writing these tales from the crypt kind of things. 
and and they were really fun. And I said, you know what? They don't dial into the outer rim because that's outer space. I said, but you know what? I, you've got something here. And so I said, I said, start cooking on that. And and he did. And he came up with this concept of something called the meat locker. And we've got this guy who's a who's a creepy butcher in his creepy butcher shop. And he does the intros and outros. And then you get these just awful little story. I mean, awful in a good way. Awful little stories of mayhem and uh, with a, with a serious twist ending. And Gary's been blowing these things out. It's like, here's a side of Gary I didn't even knew existed. And here are these great stories. It's kind of like that Saturday Night Creature feature. I, yes. I guys. Yeah, we, we actually, I want to have an homage to it where either in the beginning of the show or in the butcher shop itself, we see a finger that has six hands on it. Just as an homage of those creature feature beginnings. Yes, yes. yes. You know? And, and now one of our other guys, Bill Lutz, He's been writing for years this this three volume tome of of vampire stories, but it isn't just vampire stories. It's all the all the creatures in in all the world's mythos. You've got Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and Mount Olympus, all all of these different characters, and they all come together in this thing, and it's just nuts. And so I handed that off to Bill Lutz, and I said, I said. Just start working on this, and and we'll we'll spin off of that. We'll do something with that. So we've got all of these things cooking, and and so we're going to start with with outer rim, and and see how that's received, and then we're going to move on to the meat locker, and and we'll go back to outer rim, and we'll just keep toggling back and forth as things pop to the front burner. We'll knock them out and just keep going. Um, I, I really think we've got uh, got a real popcorn machine here. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and like you said, the kick in the pants with the shakeup and Trek fan films, uh, you might you you may come back and go, ah, that was the best thing ever. So, uh, but like you said, I I hope here in a year or two that will all calm down and and um, because it'll be a new era. It's been a you know the last yeah. ten years have been an era when there was no active Trek and CBS was in their interest to kind of like look I the know. other way. <laughs> the hands on people wanted to look the other way so the lawyers wouldn't yell at them to let people have Trek out there <sighs> and the way this you know ride in the internet gone with the incidents and accidents and hints and allegations and so on and so forth. And hopefully that's <laughs> all going to get done with and we can move past that and carry right forward. because every nothing is. I mean, like in '96, the attorneys made. Everybody, you know, everybody that it was just starting to when frame grabbing was just coming in and the big thing was how many frame grab clips could you have on your website? And then the right. attorneys came in and made them do cease and desist to the, you know, and pissed off most of online fandom that, you know, it's like that wasn't going to last within four or five years. It was, oh, no, the Internet's about sharing, not not old style. Keep everything within the gates of the of the lot, you know, kind of thing. So right. everything does eventually change. And, you know, it just some people get bitter and remember forever. But most people move on and or the new kids come in and and things move on. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we're not under these. We're not under where we are right now is an anomaly. And whatever the new era and technology will drive that and interest and just having new shows on again having new star trek professionally churned out will was going to change that anyway so We're still in the slow birth of a new maybe in its infancy yet it's only been how many years you know so got it by a decade or so big deal that's nothing that's a blip so so i'm, we're I'm waiting on these, home holidays birthing pains as we move forward and and just everyone's got to get used to it oh yep totally yep well, hey guys, I, the time. 
<laughs> I think you're about to just say that you need to go. I was going to say, speaking of time, and not in a timey wimey way, but yeah, I'm, I need to, to to move on. But uh, it's been it's been this has been interesting that I the topic went down the down the path I didn't expect to hear, but I'm glad I get caught up on Outer Rim and hearing what's going on with all that. As always, Larry, a pleasure speaking with you, sir. Yeah, so yeah. Where can people find you, and what projects is it you're going to be working on for 2017? Well, I think I dropped a little bit ago. I'm just so glad after about six months of like, you know, delayed birth <laughs> that my new website is up finally. So it looks like something actually made from this century. Like just learnimichuck.com and all the pages and projects attached to that. But I have a store and I've had a lot of people ask me that I, you know, why didn't you do an online? I mean, uh, why didn't you do a, a CD this year of, of your archival interviews that I've done the last four years? And I did an anniversary topic, but I didn't have a site where I could access it. So I just had them live. But there is a volume five in on speaker that's set up to be a 50th anniversary homage because I used the 96 30th anniversary shows, Tribulations and, and Flashback, my my just solo set visit. And I've got instead of just four voices, I have 17 creative voices from Grace Lee and, you know, Ron Moore and, and the Akutas and everybody on down to a guy who um, in Tribulations and DS9 actually worked at Desilu and was on was working he was a gaffer when they dumped the Tribbles on Shatner in '67 <laughs> and he was working on DS9 you know when they did Tribulations which was kind of amazing to talk to him so anyway the way I've done those in the past I I did get one done and premiered it at Vegas but nobody could order it so that's online now and. I just did it. If you go to Trekland dot uh, Treklandblog dot com or the site, I did a post and I I did some Cyber Monday specials that are good until till Monday because I can still or uh, I'm sorry the 26th, but Tuesday is the mailing deadline. So if if you want to look and see some of the things I put up for gift specials, I I put up a bonus for for uh, Trekland online uh, Trekland on speaker volume five like a stocking stuffer, and I did a special for uh, joining portal. And uh, some some freebie stuff attached to that. So, you know, the mini con all year long. So, uh, but the big thing in the beginning of the year will be getting the con of wrath wrapped up. And um, if anybody wants to jump in and still be a, a, a slow motion backer for that or be a, a producer, get a hold of me. But the, it's all there on online. And everything about Portal 47 is at portal47.net. And I have just had a meeting today about it. I have a. Something that's in media happening in the middle of the year that can't talk about it yet, but hooker by crook, we're going to get it launched um, and maybe bring some of these things to a wider audience. So uh, some of the things that I, you know, my passion is behind the scenes and the people that don't get enough credit for what they do or talking to the creators about, you know, what all their array of choices were and, um, and with the new show and with all the old shows too. So uh there's a project coming along that I hope will be, hope will be a, a big surprise and a big, big welcome piece of the puzzle. That's there's because there's so much Star Trek out there and there's so much good stuff, um, but there's still there's still slices and niches that, that I think fans sometimes I, we say with Portal Forty Seven it's for new fans, old fans, bored fans, and fans who don't even know how much Star Trek there still is they have no clue about, and um, uh, that's that's what I just want to keep on. You know, when I get given the keys to the car with Star Trek, like when we used to do the Companion and the, and the magazine and Fact Files, it's I always try to go to the things that I want to see done, and everybody's always responded to that because when I was a kid and the things coming up, there was a lot of you know obviousness and blandness, and 
and digging the different ways we can dig and talking to the people that don't get talked to, but that have awesome things to say and insights to share. That's, that's what I've always enjoyed doing. And, and most of the time people are going, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did that. So I'm just going to keep following that path and, um, and going down that trail. So, uh, well, so you know, jump know along. Come you... come check it out. Yeah. yeah well, let us know when you want to talk that. about your projects. Okay. Well, like I said, go over it at learningabitcheck.com right now. The new site is up, treklandblog.com. The gift story is up with the specials going on. I should do a shout out to uh, – we're doing. this is the off year for Geek Nation Tours for our LA to Vegas tour, but we are doing the one-day tour the day before uh, Star Trek Las Vegas happens. So on the Tuesday, which I think is August 1st, we're doing the one-day tour out to the Valley of Fire. I call it the Kirk Memorial Tour, although we do other things connected to Star Trek out there too. But <laughs> um, So you can jump on that. If you go to that story, the link is there and to all of that. And also a shout-out for Enterprise in Space, which is the nonprofit, awesome global student and aerospace industry orbiter that's going to be named Enterprise, sponsored by National Space Society. And it's a nonprofit for Americans. So you can, if you need a tax deduction before the end of the year, you can make a $20 or larger donation and be in the virtual crew and get your name aboard the chip aboard the first real enterprise in space and with a lot lot more attached to it since we launched it and you know for 2021 so um gee i've got oh and and if you're still looking for some other things that are really unique i have to mention the trekland trunk every week from tuesday to sunday i, I bring stuff out of my archives and we have little local uh auction events on facebook uh, on most Sundays, and then there's some things on eBay. So if you go to Trekland Trunk on eBay or Trekland Trunk on Facebook, you can see what's up. There's a new crop of things that are scripts and set plans, and you know uh, elements and promotional wacky things, and and old 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 70s and 80s items and stuff. So uh, give it a look if that if that might float your boat. There's all kinds of things you've probably never seen before or didn't know were out there. Um, so yeah, there's my, that's and that's my best non slimy used car salesman way of. Of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us. As always, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Larry. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, Happy it's holidays. Great year. Thank yeah, you, Larry. Holidays back. That was his way of saying he's involved in Star Trek Discovery, for those not aware. Ooh. No, no, no. I, I have no official link to Discovery. Yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeti. Bye, Larry. Anyway, happy holidays, everybody, and a great happy 2017. Holidays. And let's see how, it, ha, see how it goes. Trek Thank well. you, man. <laughs> nice <laughs> meeting you, sir. Take, Take care. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. Catch Bye. you later. So, that's Larry's Larry Nimitschek. It is always fun to have around. Oh, yeah. So, Jesper, Carlos, onto the dirty stepchild of Star <laughs> Trek, <laughs> which is Axanar and the Capes. <laughs> The dirty stepchild. Do we so, have to? So you two have been busy. Here's, here's where I, guys, I'm going to leave the mic hot, but I'm stepping away for a beverage. I'll be right back. I'm going to need one. Hang on. Uh, I think I'll agree with Jim. Jim. I got to refill my adult beverage. I'll be back. I already got my beverage here. <laughs> Nobody has suffered through this more than me and Carlos, I have to That's, say. That yes. is true. <laughs> you two have done so much work with this. Um, it's unbelievable. And been harassed so much. Well, you know, <laughs> that's how you know you're doing your job. <laughs> so, yeah, what's been going on? Well, we're um, we're about to head into uh, some interesting times. We are uh, just about two and a half months away from uh, the trial, and it's looking 
increasingly like there's going to be a trial, um, which, you know, uh, it's been almost a year. We're two, two weeks away from uh, a year since the lawsuit uh, was filed against Axonar by CBS and Paramount. And, um, you know, back then, uh, everyone assumed it would have been over long before now. And the fact that it's still an active case, that there's, uh, there's still, uh, you know, pleadings being filed and arguments being made. And, uh, and as we all know, in, in fandom, uh, lots of uh, discussion, debates, uh, invective, vitriol um, going on. It's, it's taken on a life of its own. Now, Carlos, you've the entire time, because we've had you on the show previous times, um, you've been working on Axe Monitor, which has continued through the entire sort of timeline of the case and sort of been listing all the stuff that's been coming in. How's that been working for you? Well, it's certainly uh, uh, taking up a lot of time, um, but, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've always been sort of a, a fan of court cases. So, uh, you know, I've, I've covered many in the past as a reporter, well, when I was a reporter. Um, so the, the intricacies, the back and forth, um, the, you know, uh, stretching to make legal arguments, we've seen all of that in this case. And, um, and, and lots of drama, not just amongst the fandom, but, you know, between the lawyers and, and so forth. So there's, you know, there's certainly been plenty of drama to keep things, uh, to keep things lively. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I've told people that I never expected this to be the kind of a story that, that you could pretty much literally say generates, uh, daily coverage. There's enough going on for uh, that, for, for daily coverage, um, out of this. And, um, so that's uh, that's one of the the big learnings of this is that uh, uh, when you when you stand your ground, uh, as I believe, you know, Alec Peters and the action art folks um, portray themselves, um, that that creates the kind of of drama in the legal realm and uh, in, in the fan realm that uh, we've certainly seen develop over the course of the past year. Now, Jesper, um, hmm. as we've mentioned on tribbles quite a lot um you've talked on the gnt show um with a little section called semantic shenanigans which you've now branched out into your own show um, yes. which is on another part of the busy little beaver production side um did you want to tell us about what you've been covering um over this last year and a bit about your show Sure. Um, well, basically what I've been trying to do is kind of uh, translate legalese for people because I know that – I was – Jim, can you mute your mic, please? Yeah, please. thank you. Thank you. Yep. Am I there? I'm there. All right. All right. So, so what has been happening is I've been trying very hard to uh, uh, to translate le- legalese for people because uh, you know we have a tendency in the law to write you know here and before and and thereafter and whatever and you know it, it, we use these twenty dollar words when we really only need five cent words and um, uh, it, it, a lot of this is this back and forth and back and forth because of, of all this junk that's necessary just for uh, for the courts to keep it straight everything from uh, the numbering of exhibits to putting covers on them to, oh, this has to be done in motion practice as opposed to some other way, which uh, you might feel is easier. So I, I'm trying to 
give that perspective to people. Uh, I had practiced law. It was quite a while ago. I did not practice uh, in California. And although I did occasionally do federal practice, this is not my area. So I've had to read up on this too. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been interesting. It has been an education for me in, in a sense as well. And then a lot of stuff is sort of coming back to me, you know, remembering, oh, yeah, when you did this, good Lord, what what a pain this is, or, you know, how much how much effort is involved. Uh, so then uh, by the time I got to Spanish, Spanish shenanigans, uh, the case obviously is still going on. So uh, when the documents come in, I will blog about them. Carlos also blogs about them. We have somewhat different perspectives about it uh, to try to give people as much information as we can, whether it's a timeline of what's happening in the case, or this looks like a win, but it turns out it's not, or uh, yeah, this is kind of interesting, or hey, maybe the defense really has something here, or maybe the plaintiffs really have something here, or hey, this didn't look like really a big revelation, but if you dig deeper, yes, it is. So try to give that to um, to the general public who's reading about this. You know, folks who are scratching their heads or maybe who have come in a little late into this, uh, into this little drama uh, and maybe, you know, haven't seen it from the very beginning. So uh, semantic standigans, we're trying very hard to not make it just about the law because my partner in crime, she's not a lawyer. So on her side of things, it's more about scholarship. So we're talking, we're trying to give a more uh, kind of high level look at not just Axonar, but uh, other things that uh, hit the fandom, whether it's, uh, we talked about the Bechtel test for um, uh, when we were on the 24 hours of GNT, we have talked about um Oh, God, uh, alpha nerding. That was kind of an interesting discussion. You know, what happens when people try to be, become gatekeepers in the fandom uh, for other people? You know, where somebody kind of the, this old timer leans back on his rocking chair and says, hey, Sonny, I was the one who was watching the first run of, of TNG 50 years ago or the TNG TOS 50 years ago. And you're not a real fan unless you watched, uh, you know, un- unless unless you watched uh, number one and all of that stuff. Uh and uh, so our next episode, which will be on Monday, the 19th, is uh, actually going to be on wor- real world shipping. So it's uh, things like when um, uh, when Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were making uh, the first Star Wars movie and people were kind of linking them romantically. And now uh, Carrie Fisher has come out with a book where apparently they really were linked romantically uh, to, uh, you know, what what does that mean to fandoms? You know, people do have shipping wars about, um, about fictional characters. So why the hell wouldn't they have them about, uh, real life folks? And of course, in the background, XNR goes on and on and on. And I keep talking about it too. Well, it certainly had to sound like a fan fiction freak company. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the, the XNR case is really, um, illuminated a lot of issues that have been building in fandoms for for about a decade um, with you know with the uh, uh, vast popularization of, of the internet and uh, the digitization of, of, of uh, creation you know that uh, has brought uh, you know creative arts into the realm of affordability for for so many more people um, 
So this was something that I think has just been brewing for a really long time. And, you know, and then the advent of crowdfunding just, it was like the, 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 the spark that lit the kindling because it now made it, um, you know, more than just something theoretically affordable, it made it actually affordable. And that's when, uh, as, uh, as Janet put it so well, the, the, it hit the fandom. Yeah, well, you know, it, a lot of things happened at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That uh, really good equipment uh, came down in price. Uh, the internet happened or, and is happening so that a distribution system suddenly existed. Uh, the fandom is uh, is interested. Our culture is changing because we're a lot less likely now to simply accept a sort of spoon-fed entertainment, we have, we are more likely these days to kind of remix entertainment for our own purposes, and I and I I think that actually has roots that go back to um, to kind of the remix and sampling culture coming from music, uh, from you know now it's like thirty years ago, uh, and so we're seeing it uh, with uh, not just music but with video as well, and and uh, you know and we also have we have Inovos and and, and other such companies where. Uh, you know, costuming and whatnot, it's affordable now. It's out there or, or hell, there, there's simplicity patterns. You can make your own stuff and make it even more afford, affordable. Uh, people buy props. There's, there's, a, there's a thriving prop uh, uh, trading uh, uh, culture out there, uh, whether it's the real stuff that was screen used or maybe was made but, you know, didn't end up on a screen or things that people make where they make as good a replica as they can. And we've got 3D printing these days too. So it's getting harder and harder and harder to put a fence around uh, the the real thing, the uh, the authorized licensed product. And it, it's getting harder and harder to tell it from the knockoff product. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Axon, I'm not just talking about Trek. This is happening in general. You know, we, we, we're seeing people rising up through, uh, through YouTube and are becoming uh, somewhat, I wouldn't say stars, I think that's an overused term, but they're, they're getting some fame out of this uh, that they wouldn't have had before. Uh, Anna Todd. Anna Todd, God love her. She is from she's from she's on Wattpad, which is a, uh, a its website. There's there's something like forty million people on on Wattpad now, uh, where you can uh, where you can publish your own works. Uh, you can't do excuse me, you can't do it for money. Uh, and there's also a ton of fan fiction out there. She wrote a one direction fan fiction, and that's one direction as in the British pop boy band her it's called after she has i kid you not over a billion reads that's a billion with a b she got a book deal out of that obviously she can't write about one direction she had to change the name scrub off the serial numbers as it were and one direction actually approved of this they said yeah this is great just don't make the the, the paid book about us uh, this is somebody who was just a complete unknown. So folks are seeing this kind of success out there, maybe not realizing that for every Anna Todd out there, there's 40 million or so other people on just Wattpad alone who aren't making numbers anywhere near as good as that. But they think that maybe they can. 
and uh, you know, or or they or they get together a um, or they've got Photoshop or they've got uh, paint or they've got uh, and I, I don't mean Microsoft Paint. I mean, you know, like paint and, and brushes and whatnot or they've got a video camera and uh, they feel maybe they can't make it exactly as good as the uh, professionals, but they can make it almost as good. And if they can get an audience and people can be interested in them, then they can get a, me- a measure of fame and get their creativity out there. I mean, I like to think of myself as a creative person. I like getting my creative stuff out there. I think a lot of people do. Uh, you know, our culture is changing and this is a part of it. This is a, this is absolutely a byproduct of that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that, uh, the, the economic landscape for, for, for fans who, who produce things, um, is, is something that's shifting and changing. And, um, you know, one of the things that's, uh, that's reality of, of the internet is that, um, you know, you do have money on, on one side, but you also have, uh, a fan base on the other and you know you can you can use your your fan productions your fan works as a way to build a fan base for yourself and then at some point you sort of graduate into doing your own stuff just like in the examples that that Janet just put out um and, and then you know move into into producing your own work and and then being able to um uh, to seek income from that um you know, and I think that, that that kind of a process is one that's been in place for a little while now. I mean, my own uh, career as a, as a filmmaker happened exactly that way, um, starting in, in fan films, uh, building up a fan base. And then when the time came to produce my first feature film, my first independent feature film, um, you know, we had uh, uh, a lot of uh, people who were, who were fans of our work on Star Trek Hidden Frontier and, and uh, Star Trek New Voyages that that kicked into our first Kickstarter that uh, uh, gave us a lot of the seed money and then finishing funds uh, to complete that first uh, that first production. And now I'm uh, on my uh, finishing up my my third feature uh, that also had a huge uh, crowdfunding component to it as well. So you know, so there's a way to do it um, as long as you're not directly profiting from or commercializing uh, the the source work. And I think that's where Axnar ran ran into trouble, and where you know I think ultimately this case will come down to the the commercialization aspects of what Axnar was doing, rather than the, the 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 fair use, the strict fair use kinds of questions that we're seeing uh, being bandied back and forth between the defense and the and the plaintiffs so far. Yeah, that I was one of the big. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I think that no, was no, one of the big ahead. motivators for for outer limits was. Seeing what kind of trouble someone could get into, and and that's what made us. A lot of people were saying, "Well, just you know, put it on the back burner for now, and let's see how this all goes out." And I said, "You know what? No, we we've done so much work and put a number of years of effort into this. We're going to move forward, but we're just going to drop the trek from everything we're doing. And and if we still have legs after dropping the trek, which we did, we said, you know what?" screw it. We're going to run with it and we're, we're going to make good on it. And, and this way, doing it the way we're doing it, we can't get in any trouble because we own it. It's ours. And, 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 you know, he, he did us a favor, you know, he did, he did us a favor by doing what he did. Well, I was, well, let's just say it was an unintended consequence. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, I was just writing fan fiction. That was all I was doing. And uh, the place where I was writing most of my fan fiction kind of, uh, you know, it's not really abandoned, but, you know, a lot fewer people uh, have been participating. And as a result, I kind of looked outward to do something else. And I hooked into NaNoWriMo, which is November's National Novel Writing Month. And I started that in 2013. And when I had finished in 2013, at the end of November, I remember telling my mother, hey, you know, I wrote a novel. And my mother is a retired reference librarian. And the first thing she said was, oh, are you getting published? And I thought, oh, my God, you know, what a weird thing. And I went on the internet and I looked up you know, NaNoWriMo publishing, I happened to find um, a publishing house that was, uh, uh, that that had a, a contest for nano novels. And uh, they were also a heavily um, LGBT uh, publishing house, and they were looking for science fiction. And the story I had written happened to be a dystopian science fiction a story where the two protagonists are um, are lesbians, and uh, they latched onto this and said, "Oh yeah, this is it. You've won our contest. We're going to publish you." And they did. And as a result, I've written for Nano every year. And also as a result, uh, I think I've written maybe one, uh, maybe two short story fan fictions, and that's been it since then. I just plain just hit the wall, stopped and said, okay, I'm finished. It's done and dusted. And so, so that really, really worked for me. And what Carlos was saying were uh, some, a lot of his original fans were people who he knew from uh, fan films. Uh, a lot of the original pro- uh, purchasers of my work, whether it was Untrustworthy, the original book, or uh, some of the stuff that I've done for uh, for charity anthologies, a lot of those folks are people I know from the fan fiction world who originally knew me that way. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, two of the beta readers who I work with on a regular basis are people who I know from fan fiction. So it's a it's a it's a fantastic jumping off point, and I can see where fan films can be a fantastic jumping off point for people. But that's exactly what they should be: is a jumping off point, and not the uh, and not the end game. You know, it, it's kind of funny how it's a, it's a large community in some ways, and yet a small community in other ways. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, there, there's a line, and you need to stay on one side or the other, um, and but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a community that I guess in terms of raw numbers is 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 pretty small, but in terms of, of noise, it's huge. Um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of noise when uh, something goes wrong or gets a lot of attention. And we've certainly seen that uh, to, to, to be the case in this in this case, um, you know, and b- because it's such a it's such a media friendly kind of lawsuit because. On its surface, it looks like your classic David and Goliath, you know, evil corporation versus plucky, uh, you know, fans. Um, of course, it turns out to be a lot more complicated than that. But, but the uh, the media attention that it's gotten and, and it's been huge, really. I mean, almost every major publication, wire service, uh, news website has covered this story at, at one point or or another over the course of the past year. And and they're and they've really been 
running with the idea of it being a David and Goliath narrative, because that, you know, certainly gets more clicks. And, and, and that's the way a lot of people look at it. This is, I mean, you know, speaking of NaNoWriMo, I had to explain to people in the fan in the um, Facebook NaNoWriMo group, actually, other people had started. So I sort of chimed in, uh, because they were throwing the term fair use out around uh, as if it was, you know, as if they understood it, basically. Uh, when they were talking about fan fiction, said, oh, yeah, fan fiction's always fair use whenever you don't charge for it. And I'm like, oh, God, people, no, that's not true. It just, you know, not charging for it. The only thing that that means is that uh, if damages are assessed against you, they're going to be very small. But it doesn't mean that you've got fair use. It doesn't mean that you're not uh, infringing. You know, you would lose a case. You just probably wouldn't lose a lot of money uh in in a judgment but yeah you'd still have to pay lawyers and whatnot on that and that that's still going to bankrupt you i but uh you know i i had a point there and and now i don't remember what the hell it was (laughs) welcome to my world (laughs) (laughs) certainly but it was brilliant whatever the hell it was (laughs) yes it was thank you yes you're right that's our default position janet is right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was the rule. <laughs> it, it is. Um, you know, I will jump on uh, to to where where you were leaving off, which is the idea that um, I, th- I think one of the things that Axonar has counted on uh, in, in this case, one of the reasons they've been so tenacious about how they've uh, hung on to this um, and and refused to settle, is because they really believe that. Ultimately, what will bring down uh, uh, CBS and Paramount, what will get them to drop the suit, is public opprobrium, that that so many people in the public are going to be turned off by what they're trying to do to uh, to poor little Axanar that um, that they'll end up backing off. Um, you know, and he even said this in a, in a uh, podcast uh, a month before uh, or just a month after he'd been publicly warned by uh, by CBS in a statement uh, in the wrap that said, essentially, watch out, we're thinking about suing you. And he uh, didn't see that happening. He really, he literally said they would not do that because fans would turn against them. And, uh, you know, three months after that, he was sued. And here's where we are today. So I think that that them holding on to this idea that somehow if they can just keep the David and Goliath thing going and keep getting, uh, uh, you know, national news websites and so forth to, uh, uh, to report on it from, from their point of view, that, um, that eventually the tide will turn. But um, I don't think we've seen anything in terms of, of a historical perspective that supports that, that very wishful thinking. Well, and it wouldn't because uh, you know the the law is actually pretty damn clear on this, and uh, and it and it shouldn't matter. I mean, you know, when the when the judge instructs the jury, the judge is going to say, well, you know, go ignore whatever you saw in the media. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know that that's uh, what matters is what happens within this courtroom, and what matters is whatever is in the documentation that they're allowed to to 
to view whatever has gone into evidence. But other than that, well, forget it. It's uh, yes, you you bring in your own your own uh, experience, you bring in your own knowledge, your own culture. You you can't avoid having that because if if we did avoid having that, then we wouldn't have people on juries. Everything would be decided by a computer. So so that, you know there is a there's a human perspective, but at the same time they're they're told to ignore things like that. They're told to look behind beyond it and say, well, you know, yes, these are large corporations, but at the same time they still got um they, they've still got rights in this matter i mean we, we, you know i've i've been you know i i've had to talk to people who said well you know but it's cbs and paramount it's big corporations and, and whatnot and uh you know they shouldn't have the rights to this and they shouldn't have it for so long well you know i'm, I'm kind of with you in the sense of yeah copyright shouldn't go on it probably shouldn't go on as long as it as it does it goes on a very very long time these days but uh in terms of of copyright not having value uh, just because it ends up in the hands of a large corporation, uh, I, I, I beg to differ. Uh, my, uh, my copyright in my own works has a value. It can be sold. And if I sell it to Carlos, then it's, you know, he can pay for it and, and for whatever he pays for it. And if he sells it to a corporation, then he can get value for it as well. Or if I sell it directly to a corporation and I bypass them completely, uh, there's still a value to it because, uh, you know, there's a value to anything that can be sold, right? And uh, just because it gets sold to a large corporation doesn't mean that it stops having value. And um, just because the, the recipient is is big and it's not just, you know, somebody toiling behind a desk doesn't mean that there isn't a value to this because, I mean, this this is what I put my time into. Uh, it, it, it's the same thing with uh, with patents. My, my father is a patent holder several times over. Uh, if he kept his patents to himself and did not sell them, uh, you wouldn't have a number of things that you take for granted, uh, which keep you safe. My, my, my father is an electrical engineer and uh, devised a lot of the stuff that keeps uh, hair dryers and whatnot from electrocuting you. Okay. Uh, it's... Uh, there's a value to his patents. There's a value to his work. Uh, just because it's been purchased by a large corporation doesn't mean that it lost his value. And in fact, it, it increased its value significantly because now those items can be, be produced. And if I sell my, my stake or in my ownership, rather, in my intellectual property and the things that I've created. And if and if uh, CBS and Paramount or Disney or whoever can turn around and make a much bigger profit and sell a lot more and, you know, and make a movie out of it or whatever, then, hey, kudos to them if I feel that I've gotten value in the sale. You know, if they r- took it and ran with it farther and faster than I did because they've got a big team and they've got experience and and goodwill on their side and and know-how and and a reputation and all of that hey more power to them you know this is if they purchased it if they bought it then they own it yeah because that was some of the early arguments wasn't it that oh it doesn't belong to them it belongs to gene wanbury and all sorts of other things. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's no evidence that it ever actually belonged to Gene Roddenberry. But, you know, I, I think one of the things, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people, there's a whole school of thought out there that uh, this case is going to be a, a slam dunk for CBS and Paramount because the law is so squarely on their side. And, you know, and while I think that's largely correct, I, I think 
you can get a little overconfident in that because uh, I, I think there is a growing sense that um, fans' works um, may in fact deserve some kind of, of legal protection if they stay on this side of commercializing it. Um, you know, the, the Organization for Transformative Works exists exactly for that purpose. Um, you have academics like Henry Jenkins, who is, uh, you know, a, a renowned academic at USC uh, in, in media studies and fan studies, um, who is also one of Axonar's expert witnesses, um, who, who believes that this is a, the case. You've got uh, people like Cory Doctorow, who, who believes that this is the case. Um, so you've got people who are thought leaders who, who make this case, who are saying that this should be considered, that there may be room for that. And, you know, part of me was wishing that uh, the, the defense in this case would, would make that case. Um, but so far, I've seen nothing come out of Aaron Renahan and Winston and Strawn, uh, the, the firm that's representing Axonar Pro Bono, that says to me that they have a, a handle on this, a, a new way of looking at fair use, a new way of looking at at fan works, a new way of looking at copyright that would justify everything Axonar has has done, um, which most definitely falls into a commercial category. And um, instead, what we've seen is a is a slew of uh, largely discredited uh, legal ideas that uh, that the, the judge kind of rejected out of hand back uh, when they they uh, when the defense uh, put up its motion to dismiss. Those have been recycled, um, and uh, and the additional uh, arguments that uh, Aaron Ranahan has made really have been more about trying to find loopholes in existing uh, fair use definitions and copyright law rather than trying to stake out some sort of new innovative uh, territory uh, for, for fan works uh, legitimately using uh, uh, IP. Um, so... I, from that standpoint, I don't know, I find what the defense has done to be, you know, intellectually disappointed. Yeah, this, they're not really making big, sweeping, new, new, exciting arguments. A lot of it is trying to uh, to shoehorn this production, the, these defendants, the, this, yeah, because it is really two defendants, into uh, into some sort of pre-existing. And to try to maybe push that envelope a little bit, but that you know, it's it's an incremental thing. This isn't uh, this is this isn't big radical law changing like uh, people might have thought or hoped it was going to be. I mean, I actually kind of hoped it would be more along those lines, um, but instead, you know, you've got Winston and Strawn saying with a straight face that Axonar is in no way substantially similar to Star Trek. I mean. <laughs> with a straight face, you have you have Aaron Ranahan, a woman, writing in in their latest pleading that the character of Sonia Alexander, Captain Sonia Alexander, um, a decorated Starfleet captain who uh, is portrayed in, in Prelude to Axanar, uh, that she's comic relief because she's a woman who uses naughty language and just like the men, and her doing that and being that is some sort of, of commentary that um, uh, that co- helps qualify Prelude to Axanar as some sort of parody. I mean, it's just bending over backwards and, and probably breaking in doing so to, to try to uh, uh, make a case for fair use that I, I just don't see there. 
Well, you know, if uh, if women swearing is uh, is, is parody, then uh, GNT show is completely safe under parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Nick still, he still yeah. wins the wins the uh, the the swearing war. I think on on the GNT show. It's because he's military. That's true. <laughs> well, so is Sonia Alexander. There you go. And it all comes full circle, folks. Indeed. But yeah, I just I had such a hard time reading reading that uh, that brief and and seeing them try to portray uh, the only major woman character in in Prelude to Axanar is as literally it's, they use the term comedic relief, and I was just, are you serious? I'm sure that uh, Kate Vernon, who played who played her, did not feel that she was uh, playing a, a comedic role at all. Oh no, in, indeed. I mean, I've talked to Christian Gossett about that, the director of of, uh, of Prelude to Axanar, and you know, it was a serious job, and he directed her uh, to play it in, in a in a serious way, and I think she was successful in that. I thought she was great in Prelude to Axanar, um, but you know, but then you have Aaron Ranahan going this other way and quoting, trying to 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 quote uh, legal precedents that to state that just because it wasn't intended parody doesn't mean it wasn't received as parody by the audience. And what matters is not what the intent was, but whether the audience perceived it as, as, docu- as, uh, as parody. And as long as that was the case, then they should qualify under fair use. But find me someone who really loves Perlu to Axanar or even hates it uh, that says it's a parody. It just does not fit that definition yeah. one talk of about the, a wild gesticulation that is it right there one of the things that we had in our chat from alex was um asking if axonar's twitter handle is still at star trek axonar and yes it is and the thing with twitter handles you can change them but still they still promote themselves on twitter as star trek axonar and i think it's actually the same for their facebook page as well yeah, probably not a good idea to have done that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you're claiming that uh, it, it sh- even if it's uh, not intended as parody, but it's received as parody, that seems. I mean, it, the best example of that I can even think of right now is the last third or so of the movie The Producers, where. Uh, they're they're trying to write the worst play ever so that it'll fail so that they don't have to pay their backers and instead uh they're in the movie uh, the play and the play becomes a rousing success because it's just so horrible people find it funny that's a whole other matter that's not what happened here and and uh, yes parody doesn't have to be uh doesn't have to be funny but uh, I, i'm sure that nobody Nobody who was watching uh, Prelude looked at that and said, oh, yeah, that's a parody. I don't think anybody thought that. In fact, I think the vast majority of the people who watched Prelude and who liked it felt that it was a true track, quote unquote. It's it's the vision. This is the, the standard, you know, passing the torch, yada, yada, yada. And even the folks who didn't like it probably looked at it and said, you know, this is um, this is as good uh and faithful and slavish an imitation is we're going to find. I watched it, and the word parody never entered my mind. Nor would as it. You, uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, or probably 
uh, might have guessed, I uh, monitor the internet quite a bit when it comes to, to Axonar, and I have never, ever, ever, ever on Facebook, on Twitter, on Tumblr, on uh, you know anywhere have had seen anyone react to Prelude to Axonar as a parody or even a commentary uh, uh, of any kind. I mean, these things that that uh, the defense is putting out that it's somehow a commentary on PTSD and so forth. It's just it's just not there. Well, Alec may be a parody of himself, but beyond that, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one uh, one interesting uh, one interesting theory about that that I just read this week was uh, was them saying that just the very existence of Prelude as a as a means of showing that fans can make uh, uh, Star Trek just as good as as the studios, but for a lot less money, that that is the intended commentary of Prelude to Axonar and, and Axonar. And so they should uh, qualify for fair use on that basis. Uh, which is, what? Yeah, I, I, that was my reaction as well. It's like, um, so you're basically saying that infringing is, infringement is its own kind of commentary and therefore fair use. I mean, it's a very tortured uh, legal argument. So proof of concept means I can rip anybody off. Yeah, because the commentary you're making is that you can prove that you can rip them off. Now, now, that's a bizarre corollary. Yeah. That's a whole level of stupid I don't want to get to. Yeah, I know. It's it it's I mean, that is stretching things out to a point where you're you're on the event horizon of a black hole at that point. <laughs> they they are drinking the Tranya. Drinking the Tranya. <laughs> yeah, and you know, they're not frankly, even I, they're mainlining at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's uh, these arguments are going to hold any water with with this oh, judge. God no. Um, you know he's a pretty no nonsense no nonsense guy, and I think it's significant that he decided just this week to uh, to cancel the uh, hearing that was scheduled for this coming Monday uh, on the summary judgment motions that have been submitted by by both sides. Um, you know. It, He's known for this. I mean, he did it with the with the motion to dismiss as well. He's like, I've seen enough. I've read enough from both sides to make my decision, and I'll let you know what my decision is. Uh, in in that instance, uh, he came down quite squarely uh, on the side of the of the plaintiffs in terms of allowing the the uh, legal case to to continue, but also you know issuing a bit of a smackdown on on the defense lawyers for you know trying to use case law in ways that it was not intended. Uh, to be used and, you know, not exactly misquoting cases, but certainly, you know, trying to shine a light on them that uh, cast the wrong kind of shadow. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's quite possible that, that the same thing uh, will, will happen here uh, just because of the fact that, that so many of the arguments we saw in that motion to dismiss have been recycled in in their motion for for summary judgment. So uh, I'm not going to go so far as to uh, predict that this, that the judge will uh, will issue a summary judgment uh, on for one side or the other, uh, because I think that um, a lot of people have been looking at the this this recent set of court filings by both sides and trying to assess the strength of each side's case based on the evidence that's come out in those uh to accompany those motions and i think the real issue here is not how strong their cases are but whether or not there are any material facts uh 
in dispute. And I think there probably still are enough material facts in dispute. And the standard for summary judgment is you have to pretty much have no material facts in dispute. And, um, and only in that instance can a judge go ahead and make a ruling on the law. Um, and, and my guess is that neither side has completely made its case that, that the facts they're alleging uh, are, are totally uh, without dispute. Yeah, and I, I think that that's um, I think I think that's the most uh, particularly for defense that they can hope for uh, is to is to have it denied so that it'll so that uh, liability still has to be uh, has to be on the table uh, because if uh, if plaintiffs had won you know it, it hasn't happened yet so we don't really know but if plaintiffs do win their motion their motion is actually for partial summary judgment so they're really only doing it on the um on the liability side they're not doing it on damages it would still have to be a trial would still have to go to jury but at that point the jury would be told yeah they're already um they've, they've got to pay the question is how much and the jury can come back and say well, you know just give them a plug nickel you know that can happen too but uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that um, I, I, I think that the only two possible outcomes are either neither uh, motion is uh, either both motions fail or plaintiffs win on partial. But I think that it's a lot less likely that plaintiffs are going to win on partial. I think we're going to we're going to see that uh, this has been a lot of sound and fury. Uh, you said that the trial is due to start, if I recall correctly, at the end of January? Yes, January 31st. Yep. So if it does go to trial, how long could people expect that to go on for? Well, the, the estimate that both sides made in their scheduling conference back in, in May, I believe, with, uh, with the judge was that the trial would go uh, for 10 to 15 days. And I assume, Janet, that that includes voir dire, the selection of the jury. Um, or is that yeah. just for arguments? Um, no, I'm sorry. Say that again, please. Well, I'm just wondering if the 10 to 15 day estimate that they that they gave the judge includes uh, the jury selection process, or if that's on top of jury selection. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I I'm gonna have to look into how they. Uh, how they pick juries out there, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, you know exactly what uh, exactly what that entails because uh, in some jurisdictions the 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 judge is a lot more uh, a lot more involved and that tends to uh, speed the process along. So, well, and this more is a judge who tends to be yeah. This is this judge tends to be the kind that likes to move things along. So it's entirely possible that that uh, jury selection may not may not in fact take that long. But uh, anyway, to return to your to your question, uh, the original question, um, 10 to 15 court days um, is not 10 to 15 calendar days. Uh, in California's uh, central district, uh, uh, U.S. district court there, um, they only hold trials on Tuesday through Friday. Um, so it's only four court days in a week. So uh, that means 10 days, uh, 10 court days is actually two and a half weeks um, in, in real time. If it's 15 court days, it comes you know, uh, closer to, to, to four weeks, three, three days and change. Um, so the, the trial could end up lasting almost a month in, in real time um, if, it, if it goes to the lengths that they estimated uh, in the scheduling conference. So we could be stuck with this even longer, folks. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, and then there's the whole issue of 
you know, I really feel like um, they're resigned to losing at the district court level. I, I really think that that Axonar expects to lose. I think that Winston Strawn expects to lose. I believe that Alec Peters himself expects to lose at the district court level. They have been talking for months now um, in, in whispered tones, but but a lot uh, uh, about really aiming at um, at the appeals court level at the Ninth Circuit. Um, you know, they, uh, I, think, I think it was Alec Peters just this week uh, made a point of saying that Winston and Strawn or Erin Ranahan herself has a 5-0 record with, um, with appeals to the Ninth Circuit Court. Uh, and that because the Ninth Circuit is known to be uh, a, liberal, um, uh, a, liberal, a liberal court, um, had a lot of liberal judges on it, that they uh, are more than likely to to rule in Axonar's favor once the case gets to uh, gets to them. Um, I think that's a lot again more wishful thinking. And uh, uh, when it comes to courts, you know, past performance is not a predictor of of uh, uh, future results. Um, so it, it really depends on the strength of the case. And like I said, I, I just don't think they have a strong case, even if you have a liberal. Uh, judge looking at it. Well, I think also that um, I, I think also the Ninth Circuit will look at this and, and feel that the uh, the defense really doesn't have clean hands in this at all, and uh, and so purely on an equitable basis, so I think the the Ninth Circuit is going to, you know, I mean, it, you know, obviously they're going to they're going to rule on the law if it gets if it gets that far, but uh, if they're looking at it as a um, an equitable slash justice centric. Uh, decision. Then they're also going to be looking at the fact that uh, there's uh, there are issues with this defendant. There's a nice way of putting it. There are issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the the um, the fact that that they they make the claim in their legal filings that no profit was made uh, out of Prelude to Axonar, no profit was intended out of uh, <laughs> out of Axonar is just uh, sophistry. I mean, um, and, and Aaron Ranahan should, should know better because anyone who knows copyright law knows that profit plays no role in determining whether you infringed. And, um, uh, and she knows that. Um, so to make that, that case, to make that argument just, just, just betrays the weakness of, uh, of, of their case. And, um, uh, and, and it also completely sidesteps the the notion that that the com- commercialization that Axonar was engaged in didn't have to do with the way they distributed Prelude and planned to distribute uh, Axonar via YouTube, uh, because in, in in point of fact that was not they never planned to monetize uh, YouTube. But the reality is they they definitely planned to monetize those films. Through Blu-ray and DVDs, I mean, they were all pre-sales. All of the 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 majority, the vast majority of the people who contributed to the Kickstarter campaigns were contributing in the form of pre-sales of Blu-rays and DVDs. So that puts you know that puts the lie to the whole notion that 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 this was not a commercial product, that there were not sales that were going on, and that these things weren't ending up as money in in Alec Peters' pocket. Well, and the, and the big question that doesn't seem to be getting asked is is um, win or lose, whatever happens, what happens after that? Because the, we know that the money is all gone. That, that's been clear. Um, and 
people don't have a film that they paid to have made. So what happens then? Well, it depends on, on who's asking the question. If you're a donor and you're asking, um, you know, you can attempt to try to get your money back. But as you pointed out, Jim, there is no money to get back. Um, right. Uh, you know, unless the money money is hiding somewhere, there there ain't no money to get. Um, so class actions or uh, so forth are just, you know, the best you can hope for is a judgment, but a judgment that you would just not be spinning your wheels money. though. You can't get blood yeah. from a turnip. So right. What do you, you know? Do? I mean, it would you be know? a moral victory, but not a financial one. And you're not going to find a lawyer. You know, lawyers take on class action cases like this on a contingency basis because they're guaranteed knowing they're you know, going to get something out of it. Sure, yeah, sure. There's but nothing to get, even if, the, if they the best win. you could hope for is to just ruin the man to a degree where he could never show his face in public again. Well, and, and you, well, he's already at that point. I mean, when he, he went to the uh, 50th anniversary in, in Vegas, one of two things happened. Either people said, you've got a lot of nerve showing your face here or people went, who's that? So. It was one or the other. Either people didn't care or they wanted him run out on a rail covered in tar and feathers. So, well, don't well, underestimate yeah. his ability. There are plenty of Alec Peter supporters out there. You know, there's video from Las Vegas. And that's where sad. There was, well, yeah, but but it's still the reality. You know, it still exists. You, yeah. If you want to live in a pocket universe where people, you know, believe you, Alec Peters, uh, are, are the keeper of the faith. Um, the fact that wow. you're you're persecuted and prosecuted only accentuates how much of, of the faith you're you're keeping. So, uh, you know, it's something that it can continue for a long, 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 long time for for a number of people. What, Just, one one wow. thing to keep in mind also is that while we're being told that the money is gone, and while there, there's there's talk about the money being gone, the money isn't necessarily a hundred percent gone. First off, but secondly. Uh, this defendant has other assets, and uh, even if uh, you know, even if a judgment comes down and uh, he ends up in Chapter Eleven again, uh, you know, there are ways to get uh, to get money uh, out of a judgment like this, including things like garnishing someone's wages, uh, and and you know, and also, uh, I mean, you know, he's got props that he can sell and, and whatnot, and if there are, are bank accounts perhaps outside of the country. Uh, well, that, that was going to be my next question was, which countries don't have an extradition treaty? <laughs> <laughs> Nigeria, I believe, is one of them. But, you know, if there's uh, if there are funds, if there are international funds, if any of those can be discovered, then those can potentially be attached. And uh, certainly, if nothing else, if nothing, nothing, nothing else, uh, the fact that um, if a judgment comes down, it's going to be extremely public. It will go into the papers and go into the press, and this will become one of these things that, uh, for folks who maybe are approached by the defendant in some future endeavor, if they do uh, due diligence, the one of the first things that should come up on Google should be judgments against this person. Oh, absolutely. And folks like me will howl it from the rooftops. So let me tell you something: it ain't oh, yeah. slander. It ain't slander if it's true. So. That's right. The truth is the perfect defense to slander, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so there you have it. Oh, and Dios, Alec Now, as I said earlier, you guys have been blogging with all this information and everything else. 
Carlos, where can everybody go to actually find this information that you've been posting? Uh, Axamonitor.com is, uh, is the website that, uh, that I operate um, that, uh, that's been covering this, this lawsuit. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it's, there is just about enough news there to, to post something daily uh, on, on this case. And it's only going to be more so uh, up until and through the, the trial, which seems more and more likely. Excellent. Um, also, I uh, uh, have a Twitter um, a Twitter account as well uh, at Axamonitor, um, where I usually tend to to post things there first, um, or uh, you know, if, if something's breaking, I post it there first while I'm uh, writing the article, and then post the article next, and then then after that, I usually post on uh, on Facebook and then on PBS. You have been doing the good people's work. You really have. Indeed, he has. As, as has Madam Justice, who uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm amazed at the volume of material you're able to oh, She's keeping out. it straight, which is awesome. Yeah, Thank it's, you, man. Uh, it, it's a real reference uh, side. There, there are two sections of one of my articles that I've been uh, that have been incomplete, and uh, I just decided this week that what I'm going to do is just put a link to your blog. <laughs> There, so people can just go there and, and read it because I'm, I'd just be, you know, reinventing the wheel. And you've already done such fine work, Janet, that it just makes sense to just go ahead and point people there. I'm very wordy, folks. folks. Yes. <laughs> yes, many, many thousands of words have have, have given their lives for this case. Um, now, Janet, many Bothans died. Yes. <laughs> now, you're in multiple channels um, blogging about this because you're talking about it on the G&T show mm -hmm. um, which people can listen to live every Sunday um, you've got your own show that you mentioned called Semantic Shenanigans um, yep. did you want to actually name and shame your partner in crime? Sure uh, <laughs> I I, uh, my partner in crime is the beautiful Shanna Gilkison. Uh, Shanna is uh, getting her doctorate in fandom studies. So uh, she brings a really interesting uh, scholarly perspective to talking about fandom. We do homework for this. We have citations. It's fun. <laughs> uh, so... So you can find us, you can find us at semanticshenanigans.com, which is, you know, like two extraordinarily long words uh, for what we do. Yeah. Uh, in, in the credits for this show, I'm just putting the GNT show because even though the stuff that I do with you guys, I still don't know how to spell it. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, it's easier to spell. Yeah, this is true. And, uh, you know, and then, and of course... Um, when Hanukkah comes around, it'll be Semitic shenanigans. And we also have, uh, we have a Twitter stream, uh, which is the two shenanigans. That's number two, uh, you know, for, for both of us. Uh, I also have my own uh, Twitter. Uh, I go by Shrinking Jess. Uh, that's Jess with one S. You leave off the last S for savings. <laughs> you sound like you're a hawking televisions. <laughs> volume, volume, volume. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, no, it was. Um, oh, there, the, 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 there was. There were local commercials here, and now I can't remember what they were. What they were for, but it was always, you know, and leave off the last S for savings. So, our S's are insane. 
Insane. No, that was Crazy Eddie. That was Eddie Antar. That's not. That's a different thing. And and up here we 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 drop our our R's for um, for for savings because I'm I'm uh, I'm out of I'm out of New York. I mean, the, the, I still have the accent, but I I live in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, anyway, I'm going to drop off because I had to tired, but this has been just delightful. So thank you. Well, thank you, thank you so much. It's been it's lovely. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Jess. And all your work. You're welcome. Thank so, you. Take care. Talk to you Bye. soon. You rock. Bye. 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 And of course, you can catch the GNT show at gntshow.com. So, okay. Now, we're going to start looking to wrap the show up in a little bit. Okay. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to sort of quickly discuss. Um, if we can ever talk about things quickly, um, is actually Star Trek Discovery, because we have sort of mentioned that throughout the show. It's coming in May, and as has mentioned, was due to be released in January, which would have been the six months after the release of Star Trek Beyond. Now, we've only heard about a few cast members so far, but what does everybody think about what we have heard so far regarding the cast. Now, I even... don't know any of these people. I don't recognize them from anything. I, I'm ashamed to say. Pretty much the same here. I only recognize the Bond girl. I'd have to say, okay. I, I'd have to say I don't recognize them all by name. I've been researching them as they've been coming up, and maybe it's just the fan in me, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do with it and how they set it up it looks like there's going to be a little bit more political intrigue and maybe Star Trek means Games of Thrones. Well, that, that may be a weird oh, that metaphor. Would be nice, actually. Uh, going on here because of the advents of the three Klingons they introduced and the Japanese starship that's going to be one of the starships. And I think it's an adversarial starship to uh, Discovery. So I'm looking forward to it. I think they're setting it up very interesting. And I, from what I've researched on the cast and read, I like it. However, this could be the fans speaking. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> well, the BA, I'd really follow on to something that Larry said earlier about how you hope that Discovery would really take off and bring a lot of young people into Star Trek. Because really, that's how all of us got into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I gotta admit, I I like the uh, I like the fact that they they're kind of running with the Ralph McQuarrie ship design. I always thought that was an interesting take. Um, in fact, I did kind of a hit bash of it hanging in my shop. The guys can attest they've seen it hanging there. Um, so I'm yep. a fan of the ship design. I like it. I like where they're heading with it. I don't mind the hubcap looking saucer either. I think that's fine. Uh, the coloring is interesting. So aesthetically, I'm I'm pleased so far. Yeah, it's now, definitely. Something I want to see interior designs, man, because that's where you're really going to get me. Okay. Yeah. Now, am I crazy, or am I the only one that looks at that ship design and I see the uh, the Star Trek patch? I don't know the the official word for for what that Chevron. Chevron. Thank you. It's eleven thirteen. We've been on here for five hours. My brain is mush. Am I the <laughs> only one who sees the Star Trek Chevron in the body of that ship? Uh huh. Well, to answer your first question, yes, you are crazy. Um, but no, I had that. <laughs> <actually noticed. laughs> it doesn't mean you're And you wrong. may be the only one, too. Who's seen that? But no, it's a quick study. <laughs> but no, I hadn't noticed any Chevron personally. You don't think it looks like the Vulcan Idic symbol, Midnight? 
Uh, yes. I'd say it looks more like that. But, uh, yeah, we do know from what's been released that the ship has actually gone through some changes to what we're going to see. Um, I think one of the things that they had mentioned that has definitely changed is the nacelles. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting... Isn't this supposed else. to be? Isn't this supposed to be pre-constitution class, though? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay then. So uh, I'm game. Now we were talking yeah, I mean, about. I really like the way that the ship looks from the front. You get down in the back; it's a little, little bit different, but that, that's okay. But I really doesn't like bother the way me at all. Looks, yeah, doesn't bother I really me like at all. Looks in the front, though. I, I think it's an interesting, fresh design. Uh, uh, I'd like to see it, you know, moving. Well, the thing really is, moving. A lot of people yep. going, oh, I hate it, I hate it. And it's just like, it's like anything that's new like that, that's different. You you instantly think, I prefer the original sort of thing. But like with most things, you get used to it. It's like saying you don't like to eat. You eat it enough, you like it. It's oh, just they're closed-minded moof milkers from time. Well, remember <laughs> when, when T- TNG first came out, there were people screaming about the design of that ship. Oh and yeah! Now that, that ship is beloved. Yeah. It took me a long time to to get around to liking the Galaxy class. Uh, I just thought it was it was top heavy and um, ungainly, uh, and I think, frankly, the Ralph McQuarrie design is also ungainly. Uh, I think that the discovery we've seen in that test footage is actually a sort of better proportioned than the Ralph McQuarrie design, which was, you know, its Agreed. proportions were just all out of whack. But the, the but, saucer uh, is more in proportion I love the, the saucer. rest of the Yeah, I mean, I yeah. love the saucer on, on the Discovery. I mean, yeah, and that's what so I mean so by, like, in the front view. Saucer yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they'll they'll continue to refine it, and, and I think we'll uh, – I'm pretty optimistic about it. And I, I think the, the naysayers um, – It'll be just like, you know, there are people who hated Voyager. There are people who hated the NX-01. There are people who hated uh, the Galaxy class. There are people who uh, hated the Defiance. Uh, I mean, there are always going to be people who, who hate the designs and then because they're new. Um, but eventually, you know, they you, you get used to them. You begin to see what what is unique about them that uh, gives them their, their own character. Um, and, and also, I think the idea that... Um, that the ship is a character is something I hope um, continues to get some some traction in uh, in, in discovery. I, I feel like that's something that was, and I'm not a uh, I am not a hater of the Kelvin Universe uh, stories, but one of the things that I that I really don't like about it is how basically the Enterprise gets trashed in every single movie. Yes, and, yes. you know, and it's oh. it's it's heartbreaking because we're supposed to love this ship. But it keeps right. just getting crashed. Right. Um, so, yeah, but didn't they do these, that? She's did, the did, abused did that housewife in, of the Federation. In the original movies, it, it got to point point of a running joke that the Enterprise just got blown up or crashed in every one of well, the TOS not, films and TNG not, films as well. That's not true. Uh, you know, the the original Enterprise was refit in in motion picture, and it wasn't destroyed until uh, until Star Trek Three. Uh, uh, four gave us the Enterprise A, and that survived all the way through the end of of its life until uh, until the B came online. So um, the B was not destroyed, um, and uh, the C was, but we only saw it once anyway. And you know, and the D happened after seven years of 
uh, of a show. So I, I don't think we're looking at the same kind of every time in every movie the, the ship gets destroyed uh, thing in, in the past that we have seen in the Kelvin films. Is you well, say yeah, the about- wasn't so much destroyed as it was just damaged. Yeah, I mean, it was the you know it, yeah, it just went into you know so, you know into the Nexus storm or whatever. But uh, the Nexus continued, took a bite out of it. Yeah, but it 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 wasn't destroyed by any means, and we we've seen the the ship severely damaged in plenty of plenty of episodes. As you talk about um, how the ship is a character and how it's always getting damaged and things like that, but then you can say the same about the crew. Because the same thing happens even when it comes to, like we've seen the ships blowing up. Um, you even get that with characters within Star Trek where they'll die and there's some way that they're brought back um, sort of thing. So it's not like this is something that just happens to the ship. So I'm not as negative when it comes to the ships being sort of like completely destroyed even. Because, yeah, this is what we see in not just the character of crew, but the ships as well. So it's not, as I said, it's not something that's new. I have to say, within the uh, Kelvin timeline in those stories and stuff, the characters within that are running around on the Enterprise ship never treat the ship as anything more than just a vehicle or an item or an object. They've never given it any kind of emotional attachment to it or anything like that, like they did in this TV series and in the other movies for TNG and STO or in uh, original series and stuff like that. And I think that's what they were missing in the Kelvin universe. Yeah. I mean, they had such an emphasis on, on action that you never got a chance to feel like this ship was anyone's home. Um, right. Which you, you did in, in every other series and, and movies. You've got a sense that, that, that they developed an emotional connection to this vessel in the way that you develop one to, to the building that is, that is your home. And, um, you know, the, the fact that these movies come out every, you know, two, three, four years, it just didn't give time for something like that to happen. So f- for people who've argued that Star Trek lives best as a TV series – this is one of the reasons why I think that's true, uh, because yeah, you, you, you allow not just the characters, but the audience to develop an emotional connection to the ship um, that, you know, that symbolizes your emotional connection to the show and to each of the characters. Agree, and, agree. And, um, and, and that's why I think, uh, you know, eventually if they do everything right or even most things right on Discovery, we, we can see that rediscovered. Yeah, because no, one uh, of the yeah. issues with film is the fact that you can only fit so much within sort of a couple of hours because that's all you get and that's all you get for two or so years. Whereas with TV, you've literally got sort of anywhere between 10 and 20 hours, depending on how many episodes there right. is per season. And then you get another set of that in the next year. So even if you've got, like, I think it's the 13 episodes, isn't it, that they're doing per series for Discovery, that by two years, you've had 26 hours worth compared to two, which makes a huge difference when it comes to getting to know characters, ships, and everything else to do with that universe. Right Now, correct correct me if I'm wrong, but I know I read somewhere that the, the 
the plot was going to focus more on the first officer That's and not, not so much on the captain. Well, you we are don't, correct. Yeah, we and don't yet know lady, that she's the latest first officer. casting is, is accurate, then, then the young lady from Walking Dead, if she's going to be our lead character, then she's going to be the first officer, not the captain. Yeah, That's correct. I'm probably going to say her yeah, name wrong. That... It's Sonika Martin-Green. She's amazing. Yeah, she's yeah, she's she's very amazing. And in the Walking Dead series, her character, the arc that her character has had, she's had to go through uh, a quite emotional trip along the way where yes. she started from and where she's uh, you know, where she's been to and I haven't quite seen the uh, last few episodes yet, so I haven't seen where she's ended up yet. But uh, what I like about this is that they have taken someone from a series such as The Walking Dead, where the entire, se- every season, it's always about the characters, which right. Star Trek has always been really good at doing. Um, there's always a point to the story per episode, but at the end of the day, it's the characters that sort of, they, that's, they're the things that hook you and that mean something. And yeah, you've got an actress that has been in a TV series that delivers this all the time. And then you've got people like Doug Jones, who's looking to be um, one or even more of the aliens as well. Um, and again, this is someone who has had a huge amount of credit when it comes to portraying um, aliens with huge amounts of prosthetics and makeup and been able to tell good stories because it's very hard to show expression when you've got that much stuff on you. And he has been very good. Um, Some of the TV series that he's been in um, include like The Strain, where he's one of the ancients. Um, Then he was in, oh, um, what was that alien attack um, program? Uh, Falling Skies. Um, He was the alien in there. And he, yeah, he's been in so many other things as well. And yeah, when I heard that he was cast, I was very, very happy about that. And it, well, that's exciting then. And of course, he's also um, been involved with Trek um, sort of off on the side sorts of thing when it comes to um, things like Fifth Passenger. Um, that was a film which sort of Tim Russ um, starred in and also starred a load of other Trek um, actors. So he's also worked with people in the Star Trek um, sort of industry in that as well. Um, So he knows the people too. So, yeah, hearing some of these people, which I do know and have seen, um, makes me sort of think, yes. Now... It was also mentioned about um, it being the first officer. Now, I don't think she is actually the first officer. Um, I think she's a lieutenant or lieutenant commander. So I think lieutenant commander, but, you know, I don't see them calling her number one if she isn't the first officer because it wouldn't be number one. Um, Well, (laughs) thing is, we don't know what she's been called number one for. Now, we know that it was Picard who... Still brought in the use of number one. And no, that's... it was actually Pike. Who Pike, yeah, yeah. It goes all the way back. To... Yeah, it goes all the way back, yep. Um, 
but we don't know where that came from. Now it comes from naval tradition. Yep. Okay. But the thing is, from what I've been told, um, for from what I've heard, she's not the first officer. But whether or not she becomes the first officer, and it's her journey to do that, um, it's definitely interesting. Now, I know um, Salak and I had said in chats that it is one of the things that they don't like is the fact that the focus isn't on the captain. Then again, that's not too different to what we've seen before. Um, Voyager um, is a prime example of where it really split off from being a focus on the captain as the main character, because when they brought in Jerry Ryan, it in some ways became the seven of nine show. And it was more about seven of nine and the doctor than it was the captain for a lot of um, series four, five, and six, and seven. Really, I never saw it that way. I saw the introduction of Jerry Ryan as more of an indictment of the uh, the rest of the supporting cast, but not Janeway herself, because the relationship between Janeway and, and Seven of Nine, I think, is really the center of, of the show in those final seasons. And yeah, the Doctor is important, but... Um, as well uh, as a supporting character, but I think the uh, uh, I think that it was the relationship between uh, between Seven and and Janeway that that became the center of the show. Oh definitely. yeah, definitely. It was a mother daughter, uh, older sister, younger yeah, exactly. sister. Sort of but thing. it it wasn't all about the captain because when you'd got um, the original series, it was about in a way. The two, it was Spock and it was Kirk. And for a little bit, sort of Bones as well. Then you'd got the next generation where it was more about Picard and in a little bit, it was Riker. Um, And at least when it came to the next generation, you did get a lot more with regards to following other crew members um, sort of develop. You'd got the whole Wesley um, storyline, the way he sort of developed in that. Um, same with LaForge. Um, so when it came to the next generation, you did see a lot more uh, as such the lower decks with more people progressing and their storylines being something more which is shown, which you never got with the original series. And that sort of did continue with um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager as well. So- sure. And I think, I think that's as much a sign of how television itself changed more than Star Trek itself changed. Because uh, Star Trek was very typical of, uh, of television shows of the 60s in which you had, you know, a lead character. And it was pretty much all about that lead character. Um, and, uh, you know, but once you got into, into the 80s, you saw a uh, that had changed completely. I mean, once you got into shows like Hill Street Blues, which was setting that standard about ensemble casts, you know, and the audience's uh, expectations around that, um, you know, grew to to um, to want that in in all of their TV shows, and you still see that uh, in effect today. Well, Star Trek, and here's a horrible analogy, has always been the canary in a coal mine, sort of. It, it would be that that barometer. Of but, what, what what is acceptable um yeah and it was always when, pushing that boundary is when it comes to storytelling on tv you look at what you got decades ago to what you have now the storytelling is so much more 
involved and so much better than it ever was. Um, and I think the way that stories are told these days and with the extra capabilities you've got for portraying different characters that may not even be things like humanoid and stuff like that, um, which can even help sort of emphasize points that the episode is about. Um, yeah, I am actually very looking forward to um, this being released. And sort of as we mentioned, sort of, Star Trek does work better when it's on the small screen because there is more time to sort of get to know the characters and to sort of have stories that continue um, it a lot sort of, well, faster than anything because, as we said, when it comes to film, you've got one story every two years, but with TV you've got one story per week for um, a few months and then the next year you've got that again. Yeah, I think uh, you can definitely make a case that uh, the smaller number of episodes per season is actually a good thing because uh, there's a real grind for nine months out of the year to, to produce a, a show every week, week after week after week, that in a shorter season you have more time to develop, you have more time to to really work on, on the arcs for stories and characters. You have fewer sort of just filler episodes. Um, you know, there, there's a point and a direction in the way that the, the episodes are, are sequenced. And you see this in uh, so many of the very successful uh, series that you see right now, Westworld, uh, uh, Breaking Bad, uh, Game of Thrones. All these are fairly short short seasons, but... They pack in a lot of story because they are moving towards a point, um, whereas you know something with 22, 23 episodes uh, a season, there's a lot of meandering that happens, and the economy of uh, of getting you know a definite story in in thirteen episodes or less uh, is its its own harsh taskmaster in, yeah. in a good way. Well, it helps focus what you're doing. You. you there are so, so many times where it's like, okay, well, we've got 26 episodes. Oh, we need an episode. Oh, we'll just grab that script because we need to get something created. You're not going to have that anymore. And that's that I think is really going to help. And it's what we've seen in yeah these other programs as well. Yeah, but back so, in the 70s and so you used to have over 30 episodes a season. They used to talk about this phenomenon called Story of the Week where you would get these stories that were really weren't as good as even for the writer was not as good as up to par as what they're capable of because it's just so much cranking out a script every week every week every week. So um so yeah um definitely interested to see how Discovery will turn out next year. Okay, I think it's about it, time it'll, that we it'll be here to... before we know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hope so. Right after yes, the well, yep. it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Jim, how can people find you guys? Uh, explore the the outer rim.com. Really simple. And our Twitter? Oh god, I can't remember our Twitter. Do you know it, Gary? Oh, you oh, are god, you're going to throw fail, me now. Bam. Bam. Um, I don't Twitter. I don't. I just don't. Uh, how about I, I agree at the that's, outer that's Scott rim. J. Smith's thing. That's our uh, web guru. He, he uh, handles all that. I think it's also 
at at the at explore the outer rim. If you go to the website the gym just gave you, you can find our Twitter handle, our Instagram <laughs> all, handle, all our Pinterest. That's the warehouse right there for everything. Just yep. go there, yep. and next time I try to be smart ass towards Jim, just slap me down because it's just going to come back on me. <laughs> it always does, <laughs> like a bad. And we also have a Facebook presence, so we're easy to find there too. So. And Carlos, how donate, can people, donate, donate. How can people find you? Uh, Axamonitor.com. Yep. Uh, Axamonitor.com uh, on the web. Uh, Twitter is at Axamonitor, and uh, on Facebook I hang out at the CBS. Uh, Paramount versus XNR uh, Facebook group. Excellent. Now, Scott Baker um, wasn't able to join us. Um, he, of course, is busy working on trying to sort some stuff out for the fifth passenger movie. So, um, yep, keep an eye on that. They're still working to get that finished. Um, Manu Interami was also hoping to um, turn up this evening, but he wasn't able to make it. So, um, He's still busy working on his circuit um, anthology. So, um, yeah, please, if you're looking to uh, um, find out more about that, then... um, Let's do an indie film night with all those guys and us. Do that. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be fun. That'd be neat. So, Well, it's been great catching up with you all again. Yeah, always it's always a wonderful fun. time. Always fun. And it's always a pleasure. Year, this year, the Christmas special is a short show. <laughs> this was shorter. <laughs> this was this was shorter than last year, buddy. It went yeah. on and on and it's on. We should have joined Alan on and on. <laughs> yeah, last year we went for just under five hours. So We're and sadly, records every year. <laughs> and sadly, that wasn't actually the longest episode we've actually done of Tribbles. Wow. That's just under six hours. Oh my god! That Look, I'm an that old wasn't man. My stamina on, is not what it used to be. <laughs> well, we're getting older, you know. So, you know, you're getting older when it takes you all night to do what you used to do all night. I never made it without biting. That's what Jody loves about you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. All right, you guys, take care. Oh, yes, yes, take care, everybody. everybody. Good night, everyone. everyone. Thank you, midnight. So Merry Christmas. For, Happy New Year. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. So, from me, it's goodbye and have a good holiday and a happy new year. Take care, everyone. See you, everybody. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. We'll catch you all later. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone.
tonight's broadcast of Triples in Ecstasy, a production of Holosuite Media. Tune in to our live show every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to check Holosuite Media, iTunes, and Stitcher Satellite Radio for our remastered shows and more. You can follow us on Twitter at Tribbles in XTC, or if you have any questions or comments, please send an email to TribblesinExtasy at gmail.com. Join us next week for another episode of Tribbles in Ecstasy, the only place where Tribbles and Klingons are friends.